week's action show is created by Jupiter Broadcasting. It's sponsored by Ting. Go to last.ting.com to save off your first device or plan. And DigitalOcean. Go to DigitalOcean.com and use the promo code Here's the Thing, all one word like you're slurring it, and spin up your own Linux rig for free. And Linux Academy. Go to linuxacademy.com slash unplugged and invest in your mind while saving some money. Welcome to the Linux Action Show, episode 428. My name is Chris. My name is Noah. Hey there, Noah. Good afternoon to you, sir. Guess what? We have a big show today. Coming up on this week's episode of the Linux Action Show, we're going to take two different hardware boxes and match them in a battle royale and see which one comes out as a better Cody box or local media playback and online streaming machine. And brace yourselves. One of us may attempt to make the case, is it time to ditch Linux and switch to Android? In the living room, why Android may actually be a better living room alternative for your home theater PC, and which boxes might actually be living up to that great home theater PC dream we all had. We'll tell you all about that in today's show. But first, in the news segment, are you ready for this? We're going to go back and look at our reactions to Microsoft announcing Windows 10 to be free and ask the question, did we overreact now, this weekend? Windows 10. Free primo, free uh, free thingy, whatever, whatever they called it. I don't know if they called it a promo or like a free a, upgrade. Yeah. yeah, the limited upgrade, limited time free upgrade for Windows 10. It's over. It's done. It's now a paid product for no matter what. And there's some interesting stats, some lawsuits that have come out, and we'll look at the overall reaction. Was it bad for Linux? Also, great news for Noah and I. A major multimedia hardware vendor is supporting Linux in a big way with new software that'll be landing soon. And there's some really nice new laptop shipping with elementary OS as the default. Plus, we've got some great hardware devices outside of the media review we'll be talking about today. It's a real hardware episode of the show, so that's pretty cool. But before all of that, Noah, do you know what we got? We got picks! We've got the picks, that's right, Noah. And uh, to keep the hardware trend going, we're going to start with a really embedded-type device that's an x86 machine at the core. In fact, it's a Skylake machine. Holy! A sixth-generation Skylake CPU. Nice. Uh, and it uh, is the uh, AdLink Linux Ready MXE 55 Hundy. It's nice with a sixth generation core uh, CPU, uh, sixth generation core, you know, i7 core, whatever it is, CPU. It has a 4K support, dual SATA bays, four gigabit Ethernet ports, <laughs> four gigabit Ethernet ports, mini PCIe, and it looks like it'd probably fit in your dash almost. I mean, it's just, it's tiny. It's it's smaller than a NUC, which, uh, which is pretty neat. And look at the ports on the back of this thing. It's obviously meant for like an embedded type task, Noah. It's got like all the COM ports here and, and that kind of stuff. Um, and it has nice removable trays for the drives. You can get it in a Core i7 config, Core i5 config, or i3 config with a max of 2.8 gigahertz. The turbo boosts up to 3.5 gigahertz. Does uh, that seem like that's a little overpowered for if we're an embedded appliance-like device? Well, so this is actually what I was going to ask you because you've you've installed display devices, you've inst- you've displayed uh, security monitoring devices where you got to route a lot of video, uh, you've uh, billboard machines that just sit there and display billboard advertisements. So I don't know it. It seems like those would all be uh, overkill. This would all be overkill for all those jobs. So uh, you tell me, Noah. You tell right. me. You got experience in the field. Yeah, I mean, the the only thing I could think of that this would be really useful for is like, let's say you had an RV and you were a mobile broadcast and you wanted some very small machine that was very light on power and very quiet that could be tucked away or mounted to some place in that RV, but you needed enough horsepower to be able to yeah. run <laughs> video streams or something like that, render all that on the CPU. Yeah, that, is... that was the case 
this could be something that, that is sort of so for those of you who don't know i i have a fantasy of making a totally linux powered mobile broadcasting studio out of an rv it's always something that i've talked about in like a real far-fetched fantasy and it's actually something i've been working towards for about the last six months slowly in pieces and that that is how this showed up on my radar i don't know the pricing is mysterious at this point i do like that it's skylake core i7 i5 or i3 so i have a range there it goes up to 32 gigabytes of ram it has dvi out so i could get an adapter if i wanted to if i wanted to drive hdmi it also has two display ports um the gigabit ethernet's really interesting because that means i could the four ports means i could potentially use this thing as a router and it also has um mini pci slots for wireless with uh antenna adapters hanging off the back Dude, I don't you know, know what, that's you know what i think i think not I don't think Wi-Fi off the back. I think we put a WAN card in there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But then you could – but see, it has hookups for the antennas built into the uh-huh. case. So you could then maybe reshare that WAN or connection. Or put external antennas on the outside of the RV. Ooh. Yeah, okay. All right. See, now, now you're really talking because that would be really how you get better reception. Yeah. Oh man. So, anyways, there you go. That now that is a that is a pretty cool little device built all around supporting Linux. I'm sure there's probably other use cases out there. Probably a lot of the multimedia though. It doesn't have a big GPU in there, but when you can go up to i7, that's pretty cool. And uh, they're going to have another one based on the Intel Cannon Lake architecture in 2017. So that's the Tough Skylake box. It's Tough Skylake box by AdLink. See, the name AdLink makes me think it's meant to drive displays, but it'd have to be quite a bit of displays with two with with a DVI port, two display ports, four gigabit yeah. Ethernet ports. I mean, maybe Noah, what it is is the uh, perhaps perhaps the Ethernet ports are used to communicate with the display displays and stuff like that. That might be why there's four Ethernet ports in that thing. Because I bet yeah. if this thing's driving multiple ad displays, because the company's name is AdLink. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a cool know. device though. I don't know. Yeah. You can read more about it over at linuxgizmos.com. I, maybe they want to use it for ads, but I think we could find much cooler things to use it for. That I just, agree. I wonder, is there somebody out there? There must be, Noah, somebody out there creating a Linux distro for these things. Like there must oh, yeah. be an oh, yeah. ad well, I display. A Linux, I don't know about a Linux distro, but there's definitely software, and I can't think of it off the top, top of my head, but it's a competitor to Tightrope Media. And basically what it is is you install this, the server component, and then you install the client component, and the client basically just reads from the server and pulls in uh, either a series of slideshows or a series of videos, and you can you can split the screen up and show like a video in the corner and have like ads around it or what. Yeah, there's it's it's I think it's software. I don't know if I've ever seen a distro specific, but okay. definitely just on Linux. Yeah. Well, so I'm looking at AdLink's uh, page right here, and they make a whole range of stuff, like uh, like everything from like crazy um, uh, medical cameras, robot arms. Compact PCI serial CPU blades, uh, mini All IT. I could use. Yeah, I mean they. So AdLink, if this is the same, and I'm guessing it is the same company based on this. Uh, I don't really know if it has much to do with ads. This is really something. This is uh, so this, they're making some serious hardware over here. I'm surprised I haven't heard about them. But uh, yeah, that's really cool. So they're modular industrial industrial cloud architecture, flexible modular open computing architecture for industrial cloud computing. With innovative modular design, Noah, hardware acceleration design, industrial grade design, <laughs> and NFE and SDN support. 
There you go. They're not short on designing things. No, they got three different kinds right there on their front page. No, <laughs> it's modular, industrial, cloud architecture. Man, that makes me really wish I had the cloud to butt plug in right now. All right, well, let's move right along and talk about how you can actually build your own legitimate cloud. Now, we all know that cloud means somebody else's computer up on somebody else's data center. The cloud with the uh, scare quotes. Uh, and that's why it really makes a difference. You pick who somebody's computer you're using. And I think a lot of vendors have come along and used the term cloud to really, uh, you know, sort of blur the lines. You don't really know what you're getting. You don't really, yeah, you know, like, you know, are you, are you getting a VPS? Are you getting a shared host? Are you getting a full virtual machine that is, uh, are you getting hardware? Like, what, what, what are all these different things? And so the cloud has sort of been a term that's come up to sort of blur those lines a little bit. And that's why I think you should take a look at DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean has an all-SSD infrastructure. They start with Linux servers as the base on the hardware. They use KVM for the virtualizer. They have 40 gigabit E connections, so each machine you spin up is connected to a machine that has a 40 gigabit E connection. They pick tier one data centers all around the world, in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, London, Toronto, Germany. They have one in India now, and in some cases, they have multiple data centers in those cities. And this is what I'm saying. It really matters where you deploy your machine. And we use our promo code, here's the thing, all one word, here's the thing, like you're slurring it over DigitalOcean.com. You can get our $10 credit. Have you spun up any rigs as of late, Noah? I did. I've been spinning them up all week working on uh, on a given project. Yeah. (laughs) I have twice now started a project, uh, set up a machine, going to play with the block storage. And then like this week, I I went on a mini road trip. and I was like, all right, I'll do that when I get back. But, you know, I was thinking now that they have the block storage that you can you can connect to your droplet when you need it. Uh, this starts at $5 a month for just the base rig. And you use our promo code, here's the thing, you get a $10 credit. You can add the block storage, though, as you go. And I'm thinking I need to back up a machine just temporarily for like a month while I move data off one machine to another machine. And mm-hmm. it's from a location that I only have physical access to like twice a week. So why not? Why not set up a machine doing an R-Sync job there up to a DigitalOcean droplet with block storage? Mm-hmm. Run it for one month, then pull it down to the new machine a few days later and turn it all off, destroy the machines when I'm done. It's only going gonna to be pennies on the dollar. In fact, if you look at DigitalOcean's pricing system, really easy. You can go with direct monthly pricing if you want, or you can bracket, break it down, break it, break it, break it down hourly. Like, look at this, two gigs, two core processor, 40 gigabytes of SSD, three terabytes of transfer, three cents an hour. That three cents an hour is going to last you a lot when you get a $10 promo code. Here's the thing. Go over to DigitalOcean.com and check them out. They have a great infrastructure, super fast, floating IPs that are really nice, private networking, team accounts, multiple data center locations, a super sweet API that's really easy and tons of open source codes already taken care of, already written for you, and they have a great interface and really good availability. I really have like no issues with availability either. DigitalOcean.com, use the promo code, here's the thing, and spin up droplets like crazy, like Noah does. Just use that here's the thing promo code. Just apply it to your account, and you'll get the $10 credit over at DigitalOcean.com. Big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Linux Action Show. DigitalOcean.com. And by the way, also check out their uh, documentation, because they have uh, documentation on taking advantage of the new block storage. Uh, they also have documentation on their documentation about their writing guidelines and whatnot if you want to participate because they do financially contribute to some, some folks who contribute there. They have a whole staff that reviews that now. Woo! That's real crazy. 
All right, Noah, are you ready to jump into the pick section of the show and go through an app pick that I came across just this weekend? Yes, I am. Right. Matt, we're already in the pick section, just so you know. We well, I know the runs up. Linux is technically a pick, but we're back in. Right. We're back in oh, action. Okay. Yeah. I'm a big fan of streaming internet radio. I really like being able to t- tap into different radio stations all over the place and get a flavor of what's going on. Seattle and Washington are a really interesting one if you want to try it out. So this is an app pick that I've been using for about the over most of the weekend. I didn't really have very much internet this weekend. But it's called G Radio. It's a GTK3 app for finding and listening to internet radio stations. And uh, it's got an interesting UI. It's very straightforward and easy to use. And their, their GitHub page doesn't really tell you much about it. But I've got it installed right here. So I'll tell you a little bit about it. So as you can see here, it starts off with your uh, library and discover tabs. Now, this library are stations that I've already favorited. Jupiter Broadcasting's in there. Uh, a couple of my local talk stations are in there. The uh, Christian Hard Rock station I was playing on the uh, live stream earlier, which was pretty intense. You can go. You can listen to that. It's all. It's all on there. I have. Uh, I can play myself back in here if I. And you can see when I click on the uh, station here, a little popover. The new GTK3 popover comes up. I can favorite it. I can add it to my home, or I can play it right here. And now I can hear myself back if I. You that, can go, you can listen to that. It's all, it's all on there. You see, so that's very fast. Exception. Yeah, it's very nice. Now, uh, if, you, yeah, if you go to the Discover tab, that's where you can drill down to specific locations. So I've chosen Washington here on the side list so I can see Washington stations. Uh, but they have all, it's not just the U.S. They, they call it states, but uh, they have like, you know, everything in here. Uh, so let's go look at Prague. Let's see what's, uh, nothing in Prague. Nothing in Prague. Paris? How about Paris? Ah, we have several things in Paris. Let's listen to uh, radio from Paris. That's kind of cool. Check that out, Noah. Uh, and it pulls it up right there, Radio Zone. Ah, that'll get us taken down real fast. Now, that is the UI for discovering things there, Noah. And then once you add them to your main library, they just show up right here. And there is some playback controls uh, up here in the GNOME status area and down here in the uh, tasks area, too. So G Radio. GTK3 online radio browser. Radio Tray is another one that we've recommended and loved in the past. Uh, it's just something, if you, if you love a little online streaming and you want to discover ones you've maybe never even heard of before, G Radio is the one. Check it out. We'll have a link in the show notes, or you can just uh, search around for G Radio. All right, you want to tell us about the uh, spotlight this week, Mr. Noah? It looks pretty fancy. And the spotlight requires no internet connection and no central service. Hey, oh, I like it that. Runs Local media. <laughs> You're so crazy. <laughs> There's a, uh, the, 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 we uh, so we do events where we provide uh, music and entertainment for people, and part of doing that is you ha- you've probably heard of the program Mix that runs on Linux, but love it. it, it Mix is not. Very, it's not as useful. You don't. You're only experiencing 10% of mix unless you pair it with a good hardware controller. And we have a hardware controller that we've really liked and used for a long time. And it was the the M track or the the mix track, I think it was called from M Audio. Um, and it's it's a it's a decent controller, but the problem was it only did uh, controls. It only did hardware controls. And so basically, what the setup looked like was you had a laptop, you had a USB cable that ran to the controller, then you had another USB cable that ran to an audio interface, and then the audio interface then connected to the mixer, which then went to the amplifier, and then there was a set of headphones that went to a second audio interface. So we, you know you could preview the tracks before you actually send them out to the crowd. Well, I started doing some research on if we could buy a new controller, and I've been looking for over a year now, and Pioneer recently released this new controller, and it is a USB-powered uh, it's a DJ controller, but the nice thing is about it, not only is it natively compatible with Linux, not only does Mix have presets built in for this particular controller, 
the light it, it can actually talk to LED lights underneath the controller. So when I hit the play button, the play button lights up green. When I hit pause, cool. the play button flashes green on screen oh. and on the hardware. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The the uh, there's VU meters on the device itself, so I can see. <laughs> What's being sent out to the amplifier? This is awesome, dude. There is on the back of it. There is an audio interface. Again, natively compatible with Linux. Just shows up as an audio device in Linux, so I can send audio out right from the box. There's a headphone jack on the side of the controller. So what all this means in practicality is, instead of having one, two, three, four, five, six, instead of having seven cables that we had to connect to get everything up and running, I plug one USB cord in, one RCA jack to the back, or well, the set of RCA jacks to the back, and my headphones, and I'm done. That's it. That's all I need to get to, to start uh, to start making music. Natively compatible with Linux, right out of the box, and available on Amazon Prime for I think two hundred and fifty bucks, something like that. Yeah, it looks like it's two hundred and fifty bucks on Amazon Prime. And so I, you kind of glossed over one point uh, super quick that I just wanted to verify with you. So uh, it it shows up as a sound card to the device. It's, so it's not controlling. It's also a separate sound interface. Two separate uh, uh, sound devices. There's a, a stereo pair at the back for uh, for sending audio out, and then there's also a, a headphone jack that that has a, a quarter inch. So you you get two stereo audio output devices. Um, and so in mix, I can configure that. I can say the headphones are on on audio device two, and the main output is audio device one. And so that way, right, inside of right, mix, right, there's right, a preview right. thing, and I can yeah. I can listen to the track and then yeah. bring it. Oh, that's so sweet. That is really nice. So two hundred fifty bucks or two hundred and yeah fifty bucks depending on when you get it. If you're into something like this, this looks. Well, I'd love to have this here in studio just for yeah, just for the yeah, for, cure, for queuing up music and, and stuff queuing like, up tracks and stuff. Yes, uh, and clips. Mm-hmm. That would be really cool. So mm-hmm. it's made by Pioneer. It's pretty nice. The Pioneer's shipping something with Linux support. It's called the DJ DDJ SB two DJ controller. Yeah, the only the hang up I had was it doesn't work with anything older than 1404 so i had our main our, our machine that we had been using for for shows uh was a 1204 machine and it does not have drivers uh for for an operating system that old so you have to use something a little newer hmm. funny how that happens speaking of new we got brand new stickers over jupiterbroadcasting.com slash stickers you guys are actually you know what I, well, my favorite part is when we see pictures of people putting them on their laptops uh, Jupiter Broadcasting has it up on their Instagram account if you want to see them. Uh, anyways, we got a couple of new ones. They'll check out the new uh, Linux Unplug sticker, Noah. How slick is that looking? It's a, a nice baby blues there with the white polka dots. That's nice. Yeah. I, it, need, I need one of those for the, for then, the broadcast. Look what's officially up. Look what's officially up. So people, oh! if the Linux That's Action not Show not. has converted you to Linux in some capacity or Noah specifically, we now have Noah Switch Me to Linux. These were only available at Linux Fest Northwest. And then also, uh, something else, I don't know how many of these will sell, but uh, uh, Angela's giving away as long as they last. Oh, that's how. That's why they're going to sell. <laughs> Look at that. She's got it marked as free. Uh, the Jupiter Broadcasting Ohio 2014. Actually, a really cool sticker. And one of the first vinyl stickers we started experimenting with were like, this is how we're going from now on. JupiterBroadcasting.com slash stickers. You can add a free Ohio I, Linux Fest sticker if you grab one right now. We got them for all the shows. I, I, feel, like, I feel like that should – I feel like it, it's the only reason that you should uh, request one of those free stickers is if you're buying something else. Otherwise, you're, you're essentially forcing her to pack stickers <laughs> and mail them to you for free if you're – Girl's crazy. Girl's crazy. Help her out by picking up something else. Those Linux Action Show stickers, you grab a few of them, though. They're round. They're nice. I'm telling you, they're, I think, one of the best stickers ever. Really one of the best stickers ever. Uh, we just sent over a couple to Leo Laporte. To have oh, did him, you really? Yeah, we did. We did. To have him put them on his machine. <laughs> so uh, maybe you'll put them on his Oryx Pro. Wouldn't that be great? 
<laughs> so check them out, jupiterbroadcasting.com slash stickers. Also, just as a sort of a tangentially related show topic, you guys remember uh, back in January, I went down to scale. I took a road trip down to cover scale. I covered Ubicon. The, a lot of the details about that were in the last rover log, rover log 16. This is the one you've been waiting for, though. Rover log 17, uh, this was where Chris drove into a tornado. And uh, then we had to pull. I remember that. I remember you sending me telegrams. You were kind of freaked out. Yeah, yeah. Like, I started sending Angela telegram, like, uh, just so you know, this could get really hairy for us. Because thinking of the kids and stuff. Uh, so I don't know how much of the, that stress is in there, but there is. Uh, well, you could, you could tell. And look at that. Do you, I don't know if you can tell in the video feedback there, but we got an updated Rover Log logo with Lady Jupes. And do you see Tux there nice. in the window? Can you, can no, you tell? No, I from, like it. Yeah, we got. I'll, here, I'm gonna, I'll see if I can. I can't really zoom in much, but yeah, we got Tux in the, in the window. Of, you could check it out. Go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash rover and look at episode 17 driving in a tornado that was my return trip from uh, southeast or uh, from south what is it southern Cal- california linux fest what is scale? southern california linux expo, expo. Also yeah known as scale 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 which was just around the corner it feels like anyways that's rover log 17 if you guys want to see that crazy crazy story and that's the that is the rig eventually will be a full linux broadcast machine too so you get to see what that's like. All right, Noah, let's uh, get out of the picks. Let's, we're done. We got all the picks done. We're, we've, we've done as much as we can possibly do in a single pick segment. Let's we do the news. We picked everything. You stepped on my news line. You stepped on my news line. <laughs> hey, it's the news, and this episode is brought to you by... Ting.com. Everybody knows that. Go to last.ting.com. Won't you go, hey, Noah... Hey, Noah, could you go to last.ting.com real quick? I'm there. Good. That's where you're going to get our $25 discount off your first device or in service credit. Ting is mobile that makes sense. My mobile service provider, Noah's mobile service provider, the Beard's mobile service provider, a lot of the people here at JB, really. It's just, it's, it just makes sense. You pay for what you use. They just take your minutes, your messages, your megabytes, and they add them all up. In fact, Noah over there, crazy cat like Noah, he'll buy a bunch of SIM cards when they have them on sale, which they do from time to time, and mm-hmm. then he just has them ready to go. And I forget that every now and then, and, and Noah brought back my Nexus with him when he came back to visit last time. And I'm like, oh, this is great. I want to try out what uh, uh, N. I want to try out Android Nougat, I guess it's called. And uh, I'm like, oh, but I... You know, I have to wait for the SIM card to arrive because, you know, it's primable on Amazon, too. So I'm like, oh, I have to wait two days. And Noah's like, well, no, I just have one in my bag here. He whips out the SIM card out of his bag. We pop it in there. Within seconds, I have it activated on my Ting account. And it's so nice because it's only $6 a month for that line. It's no contract, no early termination fee. And they have CDMA and GSM, which the Nexus devices support both. So I just get to pick whichever one's stronger. I really love it. I think you might like it, too. Try it out. They have a savings calculator right there on their front page. Your average monthly bill per line, 23 bucks. So, I mean, that's it's just ridiculous. I got three lines right now active. I'm paying maybe 38 bucks this month. And that's with even traveling a bit. What are you paying roughly monthly, Noah? I mean, I don't even know if you what? even look at what? it or... My average was well, true. I can't. It takes me thirty seconds to log into the dashboard. It tells me right there. Yeah, on the that's front, true. Which is funny because when you compare that to other providers, and I've had to, I've had to work in. in I was working with a company where he had to manage mm-hmm. their wireless account, and it's it's mm-hmm. hilarious. Like, you log into some of these accounts, and yeah. it's, you're looking through, and I'm like, I just want to see how much we're paying a month. It takes forever to find that. You have to download like these PDFs and open the reports and all this nonsense. Yeah, but it's twenty four bucks a month is is on average what I pay now. This month it was a little higher because I activated an extra three devices because oh, I was trying. Some things. Nice, man. 
But the thing is, I only activated them. I will use them for the month that I want to try them out. Yeah. And then I'll discontinue them. Yep. And it will cost me, well, six, twelve. It'll cost me $18 one time fee. And I will, and then I don't have to pay for it. It's, it really is cellular service on demand when you want it under your own terms with no contract. That's Great. Radically good customer service. Yeah, right? It is, isn't it? It's wireless internet when you need it. Uh, whatever, or, or texting or phone calls, whatever you need it for. They have feature phone and smartphones. They have a great blog, too. If you want to go to last.ting.com to support this show and then just learn more about Ting, go to their blog. It says a lot about the company there, I think. Also, go through some of their devices. Everything from $60 feature phones all the way up to the Cadillac Android devices. Cadillac! <laughs> Linux. Last.ting.com, I should say. Last.ting.com. What are you laughing at? Because if, if I was thinking Cadillac of Android phones, I think Samsung, you think Nexus. That is true, but they have both, don't they? So they, do. they even have the uh, Edge 7 and the LG G5, which is pretty nice. The Moto X Pure Edition, which might be the, uh, another great option. And then if you want to try some dual booting with uh, Ubuntu Touch or something like that, like the OnePlus 3, I think there's a pretty active image out there right now for Ubuntu Touch. Mm-hmm. And the 5X is a great deal right now, too. And they have the OnePlus 2 as well. All contract-free. Just go check them out. Last.ting.com. Big thank you to Ting for sponsoring the Linux Action Show. Last.ting.com. So this weekend marked the end of free Windows handouts. And I remember when Microsoft announced that Windows 10 was going to be free, I went, oh, this makes me a little nervous. Mostly I was thinking people that would be bailing after the botched Windows 8 and we're just done, they would be switching to Linux maybe, potentially even if it was just a small fraction of them. I was worried that a percentage of that group would be coddled into staying on the Windows platform a little longer while Windows 10 was remained free and while the press about it was so good at the time. Another that sort of slowed down a little bit. But I, I, I'm not so sure that was the case. What were your concerns when you announced that Windows 10 was going to be free? Do you so, remember thinking uh, that might have an impact oh, on yeah. Linux? Oh, yeah, for sure. One of the things, one of the main selling points that I use for people when they're switching to Linux is that you're not, it, the, the, the risk is low because there's not a financial investment, right? If you were to upgrade to, you know, at the time, if you upgrade to Windows 7, it's going to cost you a couple hundred bucks. And then if you don't like it, you're just out a couple right, hundred dollars. Right. If you upgrade to Linux, you don't like it. You can try it for a little bit. If you don't like it, there's really, there's no, there's no cost prohibitive thing. I kind of avoided telling people that, that Linux was free to begin with simply because if people don't pay for something, they don't value it. And if they, their perception in their mind, I think if Linux is free, there must be something wrong with it. Now, I can take that same logic and put it towards Windows 10 and say that as they watch the progression of Windows go from XP to Vista to 7 to, to 8 to 10, they've gotten to a point where I don't think Microsoft even thinks that there's a ton of value. <laughs> in, I'm serious, in Windows 10, and I think that they, it has gotten, they've gotten so desperate to the point that they have to give Windows away to keep people on that platform because they have damaged the Windows name. And so people are trying to bail off of Windows. And the fact that Google is releasing horribly underpowered Chromebooks that run a freaking web browser, and those are outselling a, a, a computer with Windows 10. That tells you the sad state that Windows is really in. And so on one hand, I was a little concerned because I'm like, wow, they're kind of competing on the same you know, playing field as far as free comes. And then as I kind of watched it progress, that name is so damaged and Microsoft is so desperate. They've even, there was even an article came out, they were actually giving computers away, giving computers away to get people to switch to Windows 10. 
Yeah, I think I think I remember my main concern was really odd. Oh, geez, less people will be switching to Linux now. But I, you know, I all respect due to Microsoft for their recent uh, participation in open source and uh, uh, and their recent attitudes towards Linux for a couple of years now. Um, <clears throat> but they still have some fundamentals at the company that are just a little wrong. And and the rollout of this free Windows Ten. Man, did it just really expose what's wrong with them as a company and what I think some of their true motivations were here. Uh, the Windows 10 free upgrades have been horrible, and I think the failure rate has been underreported because it's just happening to regular folk who don't tweet and don't Facebook and don't contact Ars Technica or the register when they're Windows machine. But oh, I know that several family members that I know of in just my extended family had issues. People in my extended social network that have had issues. And the Register just recently ran an article where they took a batch of hardware and they had a 75% upgrade failure rate when they upgraded those machines from various versions of Windows with various different hardware. And they listed it all out right here. But essentially it was a Lenovo R61 and W510. Um, They also had... uh, a variety of desktop uh, boxes that were built in-house using uh, Asus P7, P55D Pro motherboards. Uh, Pro motherboards, you know, standardized equipment there. Uh, they had uh, an EVGA SR2 motherboard also in one of them. But anyways, they go through the list of the different hardware and laptops that they've tried, the different failures that they had with Windows in different ways. Uh, it's really kind of embarrassing stuff. Plus, I've had family members whose network cards failed after the upgrade, so then they couldn't get connected to the Internet to finish installing. All kinds of horror stories about installing and losing data. We've all heard it. And now, as of this weekend, there's even a story about Microsoft being sued by two gentlemen in Florida in the U.S. District Court in Florida on Friday saying Microsoft Windows 10 update prompts violated laws governing unsolicited electronic advertisements as well as Federal Trade Commission prohibitions on deceptive and unfair practices. Because for a long time, when you clicked the box to say, when you clicked a little red X to close the box, that was essentially saying I agree and it started the installation. Mm-hmm. It has... That's what took, I always mean when I click on a red X. Right. They, that I want to continue. They took... The goodwill they had around the successful launch of Windows 10 and the lapdog Silicon Valley Press that promoted it as the next coming. Do you remember what a big deal Cortana was going to be? Remember how using Cortana was going to change everything on the desktop? How's that going? It's clippy. I mean, it's a it's a useful. I admit, I use it's clippy. You're right. It is. It's totally clippy of 2016. Yeah. I, I use the uh, the Google Now features when I'm on an Android device, and I use Siri when I'm on an iPhone. Uh, and I never I've never longed to have any of those features in my desktop because once it goes into my desktop, I want a level of integration that they're not willing to give. I want to be able to say, uh, um, "Okay, Mycroft, update my packages." I want to say, "Okay, Mycroft." Yeah. Switch to low power mode. Like some of that, there is some of that in Cortana. Cortana is the best at it, from my understanding. I have not personally used it, but I want really low level stuff once you start putting it on the desktop. And of course, it can't really do all of that stuff. And so, in their handling of these forced upgrades, they have solely the reputation of Windows 10. And they have given themselves a black eye in Joe Consumer's opinion about future mm-hmm. upgrades. Like they have. <clears throat> They have lost all of the goodwill around making Windows 10 free and instead built up all this negative equity in frustrated end users who won't trust future Microsoft upgrades. It's right. It's I, who could have seen this? Who could have seen it gone like this? I, I, I thought this was going to be a bonanza for them, giving away a well-reviewed operating system. What, what, what could go wrong? Mm-hmm. And they still blew it. 
Yeah. There's another article about yeah. how they're not going to hit the projected targets they want, even after all the force upgrades. And for, for those of you out there who've installed Windows 10, good for you. I, I have no, no issues with anybody using it. I just think it's fascinating how Microsoft is still able to, to screw up. It's almost like they were given a, a golden duck, and they somehow managed to not milk that thing. You know, part of what they could have done, if they, you know, uh, just a couple little things they could have done to, to change this is instead of f- literally forcing people to upgrade and instead of trying to bribe people by giving them computers, why not just actually make Windows 10 free, put it up on their website, and let anyone download it and use it? I really thought they would get They're that not- this time. They're not making – they can't be making a ton of money off the operating system itself. It has to be the platform where Remember, people are then using Azure. And Microsoft's – micro, even Satya Nadella said it himself. Microsoft's number one platform – number one priority as an entire company. Microsoft's number one priority as an entire company is actually two things, mobile and cloud. And also yeah. productivity. <clears throat> well, so since they're failing at mobile, we'll just write that one off. So that leaves them with productivity and cloud. So Office and, and, and Azure, right? And at that, point, order- at that point, you should be giving away the base Windows platform, exactly. just hoping more people want to use your cloud exactly. services. And here's, the, here's the funny thing about it. If they just gave it away, if they just put it up on their website and let people download it, probably more people would end up using it in the long run. Because when you do these forced upgrade kind of a thing, all it did, every client I've worked with, and I mean every single literally every single client I've worked with that went through this fourth Windows 10 upgrade thing has swore off Windows 10. When it comes time when 7 reaches EOL and I have to upgrade, if I have to help them upgrade to, to Windows 10, I don't know how I'm ever going to talk him into it. Yeah. There's no well, way think about the beard. No we have a local example right here. Rikai is a totally sophisticated computer user. He was completely aware of... Uh, <clears throat> Of what was the deadline for Windows 10 free? Maybe you can confirm in the chat room. He probably even disabled the prompts because he didn't want it. Um, and he's going to stay with Windows 7 for a while for, as his gaming platform. And he'll continue to mess with Linux and Mac for other things. But for him, it's just worth it to stick with Windows 7. My, my partner, Hadia, had her work in her practice. She has a machine there for, for maintaining uh, patient information and stuff like that. That uh, stuff comes in and out and it gets saved to a cloud service, all that yada yada. Uh, I don't even know. You know you're, what's the service called, the system called? Practice, uh, uh, practice fusion. But hold on, back up for a second. Didn't uh, didn't Beard upgrade to ten this weekend? Oh, I don't know. Maybe he did. Uh, <clears throat> so, but she, for, in her case, um, she was almost. She got. She stopped the machine during the download of the Windows Seven update. Powered it off and said, "Okay, can you?" And then contacted me. Said, "Okay, can you tell me which Linux machines to get?" Because <laughs> I don't ever want to go through this again. Um, yeah. And that's at her business. She's replacing her business computers. It's just not even a personal thing. Did he upgrade to Windows 10? He finally did. I'll have to ask him how it went. If, did he, did he go by the channel well, say he did? Go, it didn't go very well. He, he upgraded I, – I, I, you brought it up. So if, you, if, if he says, why are you talking about me on the air, it was you that brought it up. I'm People want to know. They want to know. Yeah. The beard's important. So, he, so he, tried to, he tried to upgrade to Windows 10, and I think it failed on him. And so then he had to restart the upgrade. So, and it was funny because like he sent me a message, and then a couple hours later – like so long that I actually thought it was the day before. That's how long it was in between. And he's like, yeah, it's still downloading. I'm like, what? You're still upgrading? How are you still upgrading? And he's like, well, it had to restart. And I'm like, no. So, I, <laughs> and I wasn't ready to restart. It's a lot of tabs I got to save. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what? Uh, he says I upgraded purely because I knew Microsoft would find a way to force game makers to move direct 12. That's a really good point, Rikai. And that's one I've been thinking about, too. And as a gamer, I was thinking that would, uh, I mean, for other gamers, not me as a gamer, but I was thinking that would be something that pushes gamers towards Windows 10. And that's why I I'm thought a gamer it was. didn't push me to Windows 10. Yeah, well, you, but you know what I mean. Like, some gamers are going to switch to Windows 10 be, while they can get it for free. And it's 
it's kind of interesting the timing of all this. Uh, Epic uh, Games CEO Tim Sweeney, uh, he's still talking about uh, Windows being an awful platform. And in here, he argues that Microsoft, over time, like he has for other platforms, is slowly going to grind the Windows platform into a state that makes it totally inhospitable to Steam. And they're going to start removing 32-bit compatibility, which is going to blow Steam up in a big way. Uh, so the whole article is actually pretty interesting. And uh, he says that we are, we are all, all the Windows users, he says we are all, speaking for Windows users, in a boiling pot right now. And he doesn't want to be a boiled frog. So anyways, uh, the whole interview is up there, but he says that right off the start, right off the top in this interview, he says, Microsoft has been taking a series of steps for a while now towards closing down the Windows ecosystem, forcing at least consumer versions of Windows to go through Microsoft Commerce. They can't do it all at once because there would be industry uproar and no one would buy the new operating system. One little step at a time. They're taking it all over. The UWP, which I'm blanking on right now, but I have read about, is one step in that direction. It's like the universal... Um, it's like a, it's a one big platform thing. Uh, it's, it's, more closed, it's a more closed Windows subsystem. It has operating system features that are not available to all apps. When Windows 10 launched, it was closed. Now they opened up parts of it, but there's no long-term future commitment. Uh, and he talks about uh, Valve brought up the issue with Windows 8. Uh, and he says the problem with Linux, it's a fine operating system, but it lacks the billion consumers that Windows has. Windows is the platform that's, of that's choice for gamers. Yeah, that's a chicken and the egg argument. Yeah, uh, is, uh, it lacks the it lacks the necessary consumers because the necessary consumers don't have the games and the software they want, and they don't have the right. games and the software they want because they don't have the the the. the pla- doesn't make it that argument. I agree. Doesn't work. I agree. I agree. He says uh, Windows is the platform of choice for gamers. It's the only choice for enterprise. I don't agree with that either. And I think you know some of those some of that is still the case though, especially if you're coming at this from uh, from like Epic Games perspective. I think that's a reasonable assertion to make because you're using Windows machines in your business to develop these games. And your customers, just by the numbers, are Linux and Mac are not relevant uh, by the numbers. So I think where he's, his position he's in, I mean, this is how people in his position see it. So I think it's a good viewpoint to hear. He says, uh, if we want to have an open platform, we have to fight to keep Windows open. Linux is not realistic fallback plan. I disagree strongly. I think that he is. I think that he has a very. Uh, he has, I think his spirit animal is Eeyore, and he just he's reacting to everything. It, it, I, I, that's that's not me. I'm not. A, I'm not a reactive person. I'm a proactive person. So my argument would be instead of let's just uh, let's just relegate. Let's just decide that Windows is the only way we can go, and we'll just try and fight to keep that open. It's the best we can do. No. Yeah. How about this? How about let's go out and talk to people and say, hey, listen, give Linux a shot. Here are the games that are available to you. Try that. See if that works. And as you move more and more people and create more and more demand on Linux, eventually those game developers will move over to Linux. And really, if you think about it, they probably have a pretty decent inkling to do that anyway because they want a, they want a, a, a platform that is conducive to their profit margins, which Linux is, has a far better projected ROI than, than Windows would have if Windows continues so to continue locking it down. All let, me, let, me, uh, let me bounce off that point right there. So I think right now Linux is safely entering a zone of professional 
enterprise grade users. And I don't mean like enterprise grade, like sitting at a, at a cubicle. I mean like industrial grade, smart people that know how to use technology in a way that is effective in their career and perhaps is how they primarily make money. So they're very familiar with the tool sets that they use. They have specific ways they want to use them. And they are considered better at computers than the average person. I think Linux is entering the territory where people who are of, of that character and maybe of a tinker or mindset can really make Linux work for them right now. Um, I, I think Michael Dominic disagrees with me, but I think Michael Dominic from Coda Radio is an example of a developer who's now moving prim- predominantly to web apps and, 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 and other application platforms that can be either developed on, on Linux or when you need to use a Mac, there's a, there's a Mac machine for doing that, but then we go back to Linux for our main workflow. And people who like to tinker like Leo Laporte... Uh, who 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 realized that playing with computers is actually a really good time, and you know what, Linux is a lot a really good time to mess with it. And you know, it's so interesting to see somebody who's been in the computer industry for, I mean, he's been doing the he's been doing broadcasting for thirty plus years, and he's been covering computers that entire time. And the only way you stay in that game is by actually having a passion for where technology is going and how computers work and and who's behind what and like the movers and shakers and for somebody like that Linux is extremely appealing because you can you can pull the curtains back you can see all the inner workings you can see how everything's connected and you can really take a deep dive and people who are interested and fascinated by those kinds of things are going to be switching to Linux more and more and more and I think Leo and Mike and Michael are people that are on that leading edge just like the rest of our audience has been maybe some of them for years now and that number is just increasing. Now, here's the thing, as Noah likes to say, only a small percentage of those people are going to want to play games. It's just the reality. Our audience reflects that very fact it has for years. Very small percentage are interested in games. It's not something we talk extensively about very often. But as that overall base grows, more and more of them, like yourself and I, who like to play games from time to time, like when Starbound hit Linux, I bought it that day for Linux, uh, and I have only played it on Linux since. People like that are also increasing in number. And so at a certain point, there will be a tipping point where it's not totally crazy to to really start focusing on some of that segment. It's going to be a really long time, but it'll start happening in, in more and more game releases. Mm-hmm. And there will become a point where Windows will have dried up as an opportunity platform for creators like Epic Games. And so they're mm-hmm. going to have to go somewhere else because there won't be no more fish in that pond. There's just mm-hmm. no way they can fish anymore. It's too regulated. It's too locked down. And they'll look over at the wide, crazy oceans of Linux where people are, a lot of people are making money and there is a pretty sophisticated con- consumer market. And a lot of them have credit cards plugged into Steam already. And so bada boom, bada bing, you release for that platform. And all of a sudden, particular tens of thousands of people you haven't been selling to for a long time are now buying your game. Uh, and I think it's only now at the beginnings. And so we look at the numbers and we look at the percentages of Steam and we look at people who say, ah, I'm not going to release for Linux. And we get we get disappointed and we think, oh, this is, this is, we start building this narrative that we're failing, we haven't gotten there. But if you just look at that Windows 10 conversation where, the, where that, that whole giving away Windows 10 materialized into a bad PR story for Microsoft and really resulted in, in not a huge devastating impact on Linux one way or the other, because the mm-hmm. momentum and the tide is already going that direction. We're already as a whole moving that way. And these kinds of things over time will slowly get worked out. But when you're, when you're the CEO of Epic Games and you're sitting up at 10,000 feet up in your big tower and you're looking down to everybody running Windows computers to develop your Windows games, selling to your Windows users, who most of them are just average consumers, right now, he's right. But in five years, 
I think he'll be almost completely dead wrong. And in 10 years, they'll probably be out of business if they haven't figured it out. That's what I think. We'll see. Or they'll be selling to completely different platforms. Now, Noah, let's move on to a production story because we've talked the hell out of that story. Black Magic has something interesting for us. They're finally introducing a version of Fusion 8 for Linux, which is a really high-end compositing software for visual effects, 2D and 3D scenes, all the kind of stuff we never really use in podcasting unless we're doing some really special episode. But that's not what I really care about. What I care about is that first part I said, Black Magic, a big, big multimedia hardware vendor in the professional industry is releasing yet another, this is like their second big piece of software they're releasing for Linux. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty excited. You're not excited. I can I'm tell. Like, I'm, I'm, ha- I'm half a... Here's, here's my problem with Blackmagic. Blackmagic is like, they're like, they are the poster child for half-assing it on Linux. <laughs> like, I mean, like, so here's the thing. They yeah. have the Blackmagic capture card and they have it available for Linux and they advertise it and it's listed on Amazon as available for Linux. Mm-hmm. You can imagine my surprise when I ordered it and it got here and I go to install it. Let me guess, let me guess, let me guess. Uh, It requires Ubuntu 1204. 1004. 1004. 1004. 1004. And I called them and I said, uh, I can't seem to get this to work with uh, with my, my well, what are you using? Ubuntu. Oh, it works great with Ubuntu. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. So it's not uh, not working for me. What version are you using? 1404 or 1410 at the time? She goes, yeah, it works with 1004. And I'm like, 10, 10. <laughs> Uh, I think you. I think you mixed up. Did your you mean fourteen ten? Did you mean yeah, fourteen ten? <laughs> you didn't. There's ten oh four is like you know from like five years ago, and she's like, yeah, ten oh four. That's the latest one that we support. But if you use ten oh four, it'll be great. And I'm like, right. I don't even know if my network card will be recognized in ten oh four. That's how old that that distro is. So from that perspective, I, I'm I, I'm I'm a little like head shaky. Uh, on the other side of it, though, on the other side of the coin. It's so cool to see a large name at least recognizing that there is a production side on Linux and add to and really I think the people we have to thank for that are the people over at the Open Broadcaster Project because since OBS has started working on Linux I have seen tons yeah articles of people yeah. talking about how they're going to get into podcasting yeah. or they're going to begin doing broadcasting yeah. and they're doing all of that on Linux with with OBS and so I think OBS that kind of OBS is entering an era that um, uh, that uh, Audacity has owned for a really long time. Whenever you, for years and years and years, whenever you were learning about podcasting, you would like if you research podcasting tools and editing tools. Um, Audacity would always show up as like the number one editor. Now OBS is taking that position. You know OBS yeah. is like that. You're always finding it. By the way, right. side note, um, <laughs> Jesus, uh, Ubuntu uh, 10.04 was released on September 19th. Or, I'm sorry, on April 29th, 2010. So that's how. Yeah, it, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I mean, we could have figured that out for the fact that it's called 10.04. Right? Yeah, yeah. I suppose so. So, so there you go. That's how old it is. Yeah, yeah. 10.04 would be. 2010. And hopefully that this works with something newer than 12.04. That's what I'm hoping to, is maybe they'll actually start. This is this. Now they're actually. The real story is Blackmagic's picking up momentum. That's the real story. This is there's another application. They've done an update. We'll see where they go. Last but not least, uh, just some neat stuff. Uh, Cassidy posted over from the Elementary OS project. Some good looking hardware shipping with Elementary OS Tuxedo. Tuxedo laptops that I believe are the same skew that the Apollo, the Entrewire Apollo, is based on. Oh, okay. Um, uh, yeah. Same ODM? Sure. Yeah, same ODM, thanks. Uh, that uh, will be shipping with elementary OS installed by default. And the, the matching looks it looks nice. And uh, I'm kind of excited also about the next elementary OS, Loki, I think it's called. Mm-hmm. I've heard there's some nice improvements for high DPI and, uh, in, and in a way that uh, 
responds to a, a criticism I made in the Mint review about high DPI support. So I'll be really curious when they ship that. I think we'll do a full review of the of the new release, and then maybe yeah, I'd love that, and maybe see how it turns out. Maybe that'll become the new uh, daily driver on the uh, XPS. All right, Noah, that's all the news for this week. We're about to put two different hardware boxes head-to-head to see if they can replace Linux in our home theater setup. And I am particularly interested in Noah's find because he sent me a little preview over the weekend, and it's a nice-looking box. And if any of you have caught some of the live stream, you've heard me just loving all over my set-top box. So both of these machines are great either way you go. So before we get into these reviews, I want to thank our segment sponsor who made this review possible, and that is Linux Academy over at linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. Go there to support the show and sign up for Linux Academy, a platform to learn all of the technology around Linux. Azure, AWS, OpenStack, all of the Linux essentials, and the deep dive topics as well. They have availability planners. You can tell how much time you have. They have a nice system where instructor mentoring is available when you need it. The virtual machines and all of the material, like all of the study material, matches whichever Linux distribution you choose, automatically adjusts everything to sync up. You can take quizzes and practice exams. They have real-world examples to put you in the middle of a scenario to give you hands-on so you walk away having actually worked with the technology. That stuff right there is invaluable. And then you take the fact that a ton of the people in the community, and there's active forums, and there's forking of study cards and all of that, they're all JB members. And Linux Academy is constantly restaffing and adding all of the time to make sure stuff is always up to snuff. I really like that about Linux Academy is they have gotten some funding, and they're using it wisely. So they're going back and making sure their old content stays relevant and making sure they can keep on top of new content to keep adding stuff to keep your subscription valuable. They really add new features at a pretty remarkable pace. They have a lot of good labs, good self-paced courses, downloadable comprehensive study guides, certs of completion, certificate uh, certificate training if you're going like right into that particular route. They have courses created specifically to prepare you for cert exams, which is really nice. There's There's some tough ones out there. And even when you're short on time, they have nuggets and the availability planner that really make it work for you. Check it out at linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. And they also have team features. So if uh, you got a team, like say those folks over at AltaSpeed, they could sign up for a Linux Academy team. And uh, that's pretty nice too. I could see like I could see that one day. Maybe JB would have a ton of staff members all working on Linux servers to make all this possible. And I sign mm-hmm. them up for Academy training. But, you know, specifically I could see somebody like in your position where you're bringing on new staff and they're going to be working with Linux systems. They might not be fully up to speed. Boy, that'd be really super valuable. We may or may not share one account. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Wink, wink. <laughs> uh, but either way, however you do it, linuxacademy.com slash unplug to support the show and sign up. All right, we're going to start. Uh, both Noah and I are going to take you back to re- our respective bunkers to review our media set-top boxes. We're going to start with Noah's video, and then we'll cut over to me. And uh, I'll have to warn you in, ta- in, uh, in advance, Noah may or may not be wearing a shirt in, uh, in this clip. I don't know. We'll see. Stay tuned and find out. When exactly? You're so bad. You're in bed. I love doing is watching media. I don't have a ton of time to just sit around and watch TV, but when I do, I like doing it. Really like watching the uh, Linux Action Show, among other things. Now, one thing I like is I like my media to be local. I like it to be stored on my file server downstairs, and I like to play it on every TV in the house. Things that are important to me, and I are remote control. And I'm going to get to more of that later, why that's so important to me. But also, 
I don't like having to upgrade the boxes. <clears throat> I want to buy the box one time, and I want to install it, and I want it to run for like 10 years. Now, these Western Digital TVs that I've been using for almost 10 years, not quite, 7 or 8, have been that way. They've been super rock solid. They're not the most featureful. They don't offer some of the features that Plex and, and MB offer, but... They're very, very good at what they do. I plug them in and they just work. And because of that, I treat them a lot like appliances. I plug them in and I'm able to sit down anywhere in my house without ever configuring anything, without ever having to log into Google Play services or activate some service or go to some website. It doesn't matter even that Western Digital has basically discontinued the product. I still buy them and I can still use them because they're still useful. They don't actually require Western Digital to even be in business. Western Digital can take their website offline. They don't have to push any new updates to the device. I don't have to have any sort of account to activate. They're just going to work for me. But I've been on a mission to try to find the next version of what I could be using because eventually I'm going to run out of used ones and refurbished ones to buy, right? Like eventually they're all going to break. So I need to, I need to find something new. But I'm not willing to sacrifice on my local media. It's like my last line in the sand. I'm going to have my local media. I'm going to have it stored on a server and I'm going to play it that way without having any server component. Um, I need it to be something that I can use in my RV. So it needs to be preferably 12 volt DC, but it at least has to be DC. It needs to have the ability that I can plug in a local drive and watch media off of it. And it cannot be reliant on any services, activation, website, or existence of any companies whatsoever in any way, shape, or form. I just have to be able to pull it out of the box with no internet whatsoever and just use the box. Those are my requirements. So let's see if I can find something that competes to my experience with the Western Digital TV Live. Let me start with showing you what I have set up right now. So first of all, you'll notice that the TV and the Western Digital Live are all mounted on the wall and all the cables and nonsense like that are hidden behind the sheetrock. So you don't actually see anything. The TV just turns on and everything is just kind of connected. I like that. So the ability to wall mount is going to be very important as well. I get to the main screen of the WDTV Live. I choose my videos. It automatically goes out, finds my file server, does all the authentication, all that great stuff. It's not running a server component, right? It's just communicating over Samba, which means that I don't require any specific uh, server software to be running. I'm going to go into my media folder. I'm going to go into TV shows. I'm going to go into the Linux Action Show, and here's the last episode of the Linux Action Show that I was watching. And because I was watching it before, it has a bookmark file and says, hey, I noticed you left off here. Would you like to continue? Yes, I do. And now I'm watching the Linux Action Show. And that is the experience I'm looking for. I'm 100% happy with that experience. I just don't know if it's going to be a, a solution that is going to extend. I don't know if I can get another 10 years out of these boxes. And so I'd like to have something to replace them with. And I have an idea of how I can do that. Now let's see how all that works. So straight from Amazon's headquarters to me is the Matricom Android-based pre-installed with Kodi media player with an IR remote control. So let's dig into this thing. So this is... Uh, it's a small little media player, and the first thing that I notice is that it is not wall-mountable. Um, so that's one hit on it, but I have an idea of how I can solve this um, using a bracket that is uh, designed for a competitor media player. But it uh, has wired Ethernet on the back, has full-size HDMI, has optical out, has a... Uh, what is that? Some sort of an um, analog... Jack, I assume for uh, for the little uh, yellow, red, and white cables, um, and then it's five volts. So I'm going to have to use a, a DC uh, step-down transformer to get the 
to step it down from 12 volts if I'm going to use it in the RV. But also contains, uh, looks like an SD card reader for local media. Um, I'm sorry, SD card reader is at the back. So I don't know what this is. I, I guess it says... I guess it says reset. For some reason, the reset port is, is square like that. But overall, a pretty good-looking box. Now, one of the things I like about this is because it is, it's a very powerful Android uh, media player, and so a lot of the reviews that I've been reading on competitive products are that they suck because they're not powerful enough to run Android. Um, and I'll show you this box powered up in a little bit, but... Based on the reviews, this is supposed to be a very powerful Android device. Um, also in the box, we have a remote, which is IR. Can you see that? Is that? Can you see that? Is that showing up? You see that? Yeah, IR. I don't know if you can see that. But it's IR. Uh, the power adapter, and they, oh wow, they even include an HDMI cable, which is, which is great. Now, the only thing I'm going to need to uh, show you this is if I had a TV with a power cable and an HDMI cable and some zip ties to piss off Chris. Yeah, perfect. That's great. And and look, look, Chris, there's zip tie. There's zip tie together. Can you see that? There's zip tie. Okay. So what I'm gonna do, I'm gonna take this here. This is like the worst possible way to demo something, but uh, I'm in my house and this is what we're left with. So I'm gonna plug this box in. BRB, I need an extension cord. Alright, I have extended the cord and I can go ahead and power this up and I want to actually show you because it actually has kind of cool boot up sequence. So, there's my TV, I'm going to provide power to it. And, uh, you know, this little thing lights up blue and that might, it's kind of cool, except it could be kind of annoying if you had it in like a bedroom setting or a home theater setting. Um, so let this thing boot up. Ooh, and ah, fancy little splash screen. That's really cool. And then we get to the home screen, which is essentially the Android home screen. You'll actually see the little Android thing pop up and say it's optimizing apps, um, which tells you this is definitely an Android-based machine. So once we get to this home screen, I can go over to Kodi, and I can just I can launch Kodi just like that. And uh, again, I have not activated Google services. I have not, I've not put this machine on the internet. I've not done anything to it. I've unboxed it, I've plugged it into power, and I've connected it to my local network. And, uh, and I've launched the pre-installed Kodi app. And uh, you know, from here, it, it's basically a Kodi box. So if I go on, you know, onto my existing media server, just like I was doing with the Western Digital TV Live, um, and open up my media folder. And again, I've not installed the server component. I'm just using the, uh, the Samba share. And uh, let's go to TV shows, C24 here. Season one, let's check out season one, episode one. Um, so a couple of things I noticed right off the box is uh, this right here. When I go to open a file, it takes a little bit um, to open that file. Now, Chris had said that... I don't know how to make it stop, guys. midnight and 1 a.m. There, mute. Okay. Uh, now, Chris had said on his NVIDIA Shield, he's able to simply click on the button and boom, it starts playing. 
Um, and so I think that's part of the NVIDIA Shield having a lot more horsepower um, than this little guy does. So it does take a little bit to buffer that, that video. Additionally, the other thing I found is a lot of my DVDs are in ISO format. And um, it takes even longer for those to open and play. And some of them don't do it at all if it's over Wi-Fi. So I, I, uh, I probably put this on a hardwired connection or have it very close to an access point. Um, but again, all of those little shortcomings are outshadowed for me for the, by the fact that I don't have to activate Google Play services. I don't have to install Kodi myself. I just take the box, open it up, plug it in, connect it to my local area network, and I can watch media. And additionally, the IR remote, the IR, it's such a big deal to me, and let me explain why. I'm so big on IR. I, I shy away from every media player that uses an RF. It's what rules the Roku out for me. I even believe the NVIDIA Shield by default is an RF remote. It's not IR. Uh, anything that requires a smartphone or an RF remote is out for me, and here's why. In my home theater system, and actually in a lot of different places in my house, I have the universal remote controls, or URC's actual remote control. And the thing that this device does, it communicates RF with a little base station. And the base station then has little IR blasters that go to all of the various components. So when my wife goes downstairs to watch a movie, she clicks start movie. The lights come on, the receiver turns on, it turns to an appropriate volume, the projector turns on, it turns to a, a specified input, the media center comes on, it automatically gets connected. When she finds the movie she wants, she goes through the menu and selects it and she hits uh, begin movie. And the lights dim down, the volume cranks up a little bit, the movie, it ha hits play on the media device and starts playing it and everything is great. If you have to get up during the movie, you hit pause. The movie pauses, the volume mutes, the lights come up, everything is happening automatically. And what that prevents is it prevents, it allows me to have a number of different devices in a very technically sophisticated house and still allows people that don't have the technical knowledge that I have to walk in and use the same systems without having to juggle 15 remotes or decide what input the thing is on and if it gets off the input how do you fix it and why I don't want to deal with any of that um, and so but in order for that entire system to work including the light system and all that I have to be able to control the device via IR so IR is an absolute must I will not budge on it at all now a couple of people have said well you know they have these devices this little IR blaster things I forget the name of it right off the top of my head that you just a little USB thing you plug it into um, your Kodi box and then it, it gives you IRs I don't know what you're so mad about well the, the thing is those devices, uh, the, best I can tell, they don't come with a remote that I can point at this remote and click learn, and it learns all of the IR commands from the existing remote, because there isn't an existing remote. Um, there is some sort of a, a software thing that you're supposed to program with a table and, and all of that. It's not that I couldn't figure out how to do that, or it's not that I don't want to do all that, It's but it, all of that starts to erode away that primary thing that I'm looking for, which is I want to order a box. I want to set said box down on my table. I want to take said box out. I want to plug said box in and I want to use said box. And that's all I want to do with it. And I don't want to have to configure anything else or configure any additional things. And, and I can do all of that with this box. So I'm going to be trying this over the next couple weeks. I found a couple tiny little things that I'm not super happy about it, mainly relating to the responsiveness, uh, but it plays ISO, opens ISO files, which is a huge thing because even some of the Kodi boxes are not powerful enough to do that. This one is, and so that works. Uh, it plays all of the local uh, like AVI, MPEG, uh, MKV files that I've thrown at it. That's terrific. Um, so overall, I think it's a really nice looking box and does a very good job and hits all of the requirements I'm looking for for my nice 
local, non-synced, non-internet-based, non-website-dependent, non-device-activation-dependent system. I just need a Samba share. Yeah, my box. And I can watch TV. And if I go to the lake, I can plug in a hard drive and I can watch that out in the camper. So we'll give it a, a whirl for a couple of weeks and I'll come back in the next couple of weeks and tell you what I think. But so far, I think I might have just found my next media center. Hmm. I feel like there might have been some digs in there about my potential choices, but we'll see. That looked like a pretty compelling box. <laughs> I'm glad you got that. <laughs> did, you, uh, did you mention in the video or do you know which version of Android that, uh, that guy runs there? I, I, I think it's something higher than 5.0, and the reason I say that is because I get that that optimizing apps screen when yeah. it loads, and I, that's yeah. that is a thing of of 5.0 and greater, right? I think, but I don't. I'm not. I, I think so too. That, that's the only indication I have. Okay. Of what version of Android? All right. Well, very good. Noah. interesting. So now I will now I'll bring my contender into the ring, and uh, I have prepared video. Now it's interesting because you know uh, your use case is definitely a little different than my use case. I'm I'm coming at it from a, a totally different angle. Uh, I like your setup, though, and I like some of your stuff, but uh, here's my take on the uh, on the NVIDIA Shield. For something so small, I was impressed by the power of the NVIDIA Shield TV. It has the NVIDIA Tegra X1 processor with 256-core GPU and 3 gigabytes of RAM. It runs Android Marshmallow, supports 4K playback even at 60 frames per second, and it supports 7.1 and 5.1 surround sound audio, as well as pass-through over HDMI, gigabit Ethernet, Built-in 802.11n at 2.4n, 5 gigahertz, HDMI 2.0 out, two USB 3 ports, a micro SD slot, an IR receiver if you want to use a universal remote like the Logitech, NVIDIA's library of featured games like Borderlands 2, which play great. The game controller is included, although the remote is not in the cheaper version. All of the apps that ship with this thing feel ready for the living room, like Netflix and Hulu. I've installed Sling TV and Plex. The YouTube app is one of my favorite, and of course, Cody. Cody is great, and the thing starts at $200. When my partner and I decided to purchase Lady Jupiter, I found myself with a new challenge. I went from having no TVs to now owning three TVs with a kind of sophisticated HDMI switching setup. I'll show you. So out here, we have an outdoor television in Lady Jupiter, and it doesn't actually have any way to hook anything up out here. It uses an HDMI splitter inside to send the picture out here. So I knew I needed some sort of set-top box that was low power, quiet, that could fit in a cupboard, and I could hopefully use it to do all kinds of things, from playing video games to watching content on all the different TVs in the rig. So I'll show you my solution. Now we've been using the NVIDIA Shield for a few weeks, and we really like it. I have it set up here in Lady Jupiter's main entertainment system. It cooks up there. Right up here above the TV. Now it's a bit of a mess, so forgive it. But uh, this is the switcher that I talked about outside. And here's where I've installed the NVIDIA Shield. Fits right up there, stays nice and warm. And this is the main interface. The main way I prefer to interact with the Shield TV is actually through the additional remote. If you get the $200 version, you have to buy this separately. I think it comes with the Pro version. I brought my, I have two at this point. I bought my Pro version used from somebody in the audience named Steven. And I bought this one new from Newegg and I had to buy the remote separately. So that's something to keep in mind. But one of the things I really like about this remote is everything's really feelable by the thumb. You can even do voice commands and voice search with one press button, back, home, easy navigation right here much simpler than things like the Apple TV remote and pretty on par with something like the Roku. But let me show you some of my favorite things about the Shield TV. 
Right here along the top, they bring in a series of recommendations from YouTube and Plex. So it is able to pull in my Plex application recommendations, Google Play, and some of the games I have installed, and even Twitch live streams because I have the Twitch app installed. There's a Shield Hub, which is actually better than I expected, and includes some really good games. Like I've installed Borderlands 2, I got DuckTales on here. Basically, any Android game you'd want, plus some extras, are available for the Shield TV, and all of them perform smoke and fast. Down here, these are ordered in the order that I have used them last, so uh, and it kind of moves around a little bit. Why don't I jump ahead though and show you, because you know what YouTube is, you know what Plex is, why don't I show you the Sling TV app? I don't have any TV service here in Lady Jupiter. All of this is connected to the internet and I can still watch live TV on the Shield TV. Now on Sling TV there are limited channels. I have ESPN, AMC, TNT, TBS, A&E, History, a bunch of other ones that I don't like. Well, food Channel is actually kind of nice. Uh, and you can do it by category, so entertainment. But let's go to news, just because this is actually what I find it to be most valuable for. As I really like having a source of live news during the elections here in my home. And the other nice thing about Sling TV is like an actual Sling box, on some channels there's some built-in DVRing. So I can start a live stream of TV and then I can go back in time and I can see what I've missed. And you see the resolution, I don't know if it really shows up when I'm shooting a television with a GoPro, but the resolution starts a little low and then works its way up. And uh, it's actually really nice to have it. I can just jump right out and I'm right back on the main screen. And now I can go for my local content. But you know what you really want to see. You want to see Cody. This is sweet. Oh, look at that, right in there on Star Trek. Everything starts immediately. The second I click Ensign Row, this file starts. I love having local playback. I love how fast Cody is on this machine. I've literally had PCs hooked up to my television and they've never been this fast. So Cody is a monster on the Shield TVs. Hands down, the best Cody experience I've ever had. But something else they've recently started doing is They've just updated the Shield TV to be a Plex server as well as a Plex front end. That's pretty compelling too, because if you're a Plex user and you don't want to have to run a separate device, they say the Shield TV is powerful enough to do this. I've had some issues with it, but it's, it's usable and it's nice to have a web interface to manage my media. So here I'll show you a little bit of difference though. So here I'll hit play on this file. I'll say, we'll play from the beginning, 1, 1,000, 2, 1,000, 3, 1,000, 4, 1, not so bad. Not so bad, but it definitely could be a little bit faster, and Cody certainly is. The UI itself, though, you can see it just jumps right around. The second I hit the home button, boom, it comes right back up. The Shield TV also supports external storage. This is more of a marshmallow thing than it really is a Shield TV thing. So I have external hard drives hooked up to the Shield TV, which is super nice. And then, like most modern uh, Android TV devices, it has Google Cast built in, which is another word for Chromecast. I like that a lot. Uh, Daydream support isn't their VR. In, on the Shield TV, Daydream is the cool backgrounds that you get. And uh, it's kind of nice. I'll, uh, maybe I, does it allow me? Yeah, here. I'll show you. So while my TV is just uh, sort of being unused, I get this... Uh, Really nice, wait for it, of course, because now I'm trying to demo it, it's not going to work. There it is! <laughs> and of course it's a star scene, which is probably hard to show up on camera. But uh, maybe if I turn off the lights here. So, uh, it, it, and it has the time on there. It's just really nice, and it tells you, you know, your Chromecast ready. So it's, it's not quite as nice as the Apple TV video stills, but... Um, it's a nice little background thing when you have your TV and see when you come in and you see it in the context of the whole living space, it actually does provide something kind of nice. It's a little hard to show on TV, but it's like having a photo frame uh, up on your wall, a high resolution photo frame. 
So that's my quick take of the Shield TV. I really like it. Well, one of my other pro tips, if you end up getting an Android TV uh, uh, device, whatever it is, install the VLC app. VLC app is amazing. You can cast audio and video to it from other devices on the network. It can play files right off my external hard drives. It's it's like one of whoop, it's like one of the killer apps for Android TV. I never thought I would say this. I never thought I would say this. But I don't think I'll ever be building another media center PC as long as Nvidia keeps making this device and as long as the Kodi project which so far really does seem to be doubling down on the Android version. As long as the Kodi project keeps a great Android version of Kodi going I just, I just can't get past how simple this is to set up, how low power and quiet it is, it doesn't have a fan in it, and how damn fast it is. $200 is probably my biggest gripe, but I plan to have this connected to um, external network storage, so I don't feel like I need the larger 500 gig version with the internal, it would be nice though, just if you only had you know 500 gigs worth of media, throw that on there, then all your movies are just right internally on the device, and it's SSD storage too. But that wasn't really my, I didn't need that, so I went with the slightly cheaper one, and I'm going to hook it up to an external USB drive for now, and then eventually attach it to a NAS device. I think $200 is a little high, but for something that works as well as it does, and you can get nice, high-quality peripherals for it, supported by a major vendor, has a great gaming library, and a really nice controller that feels good in the hand. I think the Shield TV is definitely worth your consideration if you're looking for something like this. All right, so we uh, <laughs> we took two very different tacks, and yet we both ended up using Android devices, which was yep. not not planned at all. No, which nope. I think is really interesting, and I want to talk about that specifically for a second, just to address okay. a couple of things. Uh, so, yeah, the uh, the Shield um, remote is Bluetooth, and that's particularly important for me because I'm outside the RV and I want to use the outside TV. I gotcha. have three TVs total. The, the two TVs are linked. They show the same thing, as you know. The outside one and the main TV, I have them set up to just to mirror content. So I, I run the yeah. NVIDIA Shield on that one. Now, I've, I, I've bought my first NVIDIA Shields very, very, very skeptically, and I bought it used. Because yeah. I was not going to spend money on, a, on an Android device hooked up to my TV. Period. I just – that's just not something I'm willing to do. So mm. – <clears throat> When I got to the point where I realized, okay, I've got to have local playback and I don't have like a lot of options because I'm stuffing it up in this little area and I've got a USB drive I need to hook up, I, I need something that will play MKV files and takes USB storage and, oh, has Cody. Okay, all right, I'll, I'll, try, this, I'll try this box mm-hmm. by NVIDIA. All right, I'll try this. And uh, I went through a three-week period of reevaluating myself as a person and all of my fundamental beliefs about Android because it has it has it has literally been one of the best purchases so much so that I then went out and bought another one on my on, on full price two hundred the two hundred dollar price uh, mm-hmm. to put on my other TV in the bedroom. Um, because it, it just I've never had a better TV experience in any of the boxes I've built for like fifteen. I can't even I couldn't even I can't even tell you how many boxes yeah. I've built yep. over the yep. years. Yep. Um, and then uh, the the fact that it runs Android ended up I think being something that made it as successful as it is. And I'll touch on that in a moment. But I, I wanted to get your first experiences like going with an Android device, hooking up to your TV, not just mm-hmm. building like – because you and I both have Raspberry Pis. We both know how to install Debian yep. on a flash card and, and then, or even go get yeah, the uh, XBMC Raspberry whatever it is. Uh. 
and the, the thing is, like, I I started back with the, the Linux MCE project, right? Like building yeah, a, 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 an actual machine. If you go look on the MC forums, I go back and I laugh at it uh, because you can see a bunch of my posts. There, you know, I'm getting progressively more irritated. And finally, the yeah, last man. post I ever made on the on the forum was something to the effect of, "Listen, is there anyone out there that has?" any hardware for any amount of money that i can buy that you can tell me what i can order and i can put it into a box and it will work i want to hold on pause right there i want to just give a mention to libre elect that's there's that's one of them right there i know and you know what Noah? uh if you go back to the first 25 30 episodes of the linux action show way way 10 mm-hmm. years ago we were a huge focus there's this linux mce project that was mm-hmm. going to be this all-in-one hardware solution that was xbmc and home management it was internet of things legitimately before we had such a stupid name for it and it was it was has fundamentally been a focus of mine for a very very long time and i never would have predicted i ended up here and so so what i ended up doing was i realized i eventually came to the realization that the most the the best uh it's really the linux philosophy is what works best in home automation and that is you take individual components that do one thing very very well and combine them to make a modular monster of of a good system and that's where i've had the best uh, the best experience so for example to solve your problem of you want a remote that you can re- control from outside or inside i have the exact same problem and i have i have a similar solution i have an rf remote but the rf remote goes to a a remote control hub machine, which then uh, has little IR blasters that address every IR device in the entire house. And the so shield does have an IR receiver. Well, that's good. So, but does it come with an IR remote? Like, how do I get the IR commands out of the? No, it shield? comes with a Bluetooth remote. If yeah. you get it with, so I, I don't know how I, I don't know how I would get the, the IR commands, but so so that I I, I solved we solve those the same problems in slightly different ways. I think fundamentally where you and I break ideologically is. I give zero craps about anything that re- that requires the internet and you're you you're willing to leverage some of those services like the Sling TV and the YouTube app and stuff like that and so, I'm so, so far just a couple of things just want to pause right there so I can just sort of respond to some of it um I think I think what I have is a, I have a I have a blended approach. So I right. uh, I'm yes. very locally media focused these days, and my my master plan is to have a central Samba share, uh, sort of similar to what you have, but maybe running either MB or or uh, Plex as a server on there, and then right. the the machines connecting via Cody with MB or Plex. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do kind of, I mean, the YouTube app is really good on there, and it's really right. nice. It's really changed the way I watch YouTube, and I watch a lot of different type of content than I ever did before. And mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I share it with Hadia. We watch we watch shows together on the couch on TV that right. are YouTube. Um, yeah. And also, it's really nice, like just the three times a year I would ever do it, if I get a wild hair and we have people over and somebody thought of this movie that I've, I don't have in my collection – I may be willing to buy that or rent it on Google Play simply just so the people over have a good time. And I like being able to leverage, as you put it, that particular service. For me, though, I think where we primarily verge in our opinions of these boxes, uh, I need something that's super solid and going to work great for two years. And that's about all I expect based on my past experience. And I think I view what I view to be um, my constitution, my primary responsibility, all all consideration goes into the storage and the centralized storage, how I accomplish that, how I network that, how I back that up, how I add to that. And the front end devices 
uh, those are more ethereal. Those kind of come and go. Sometimes they're tablets. Sometimes they're yep. set-top boxes. Sometimes they're my web browser when I just want to watch yep. something here. And, yep. you know, it's, it's for me, it, the Shield could be a product that they cancel in two years, and as long as I get another two years out of it, I'm, 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 I'm pretty much happy. I don't need exactly. the 10-year device. So having it... Right. So having it connect to Google Play services while I don't like the tracking that comes with that, once I'm inside right. the Kodi app, I feel like I'm, I'm pretty safe. I don't yep. feel like I yep. really need to worry about it. See, and, and so like the Western Digital TV Live that's in my RV has never once touched the internet at all in any way, shape, or form. It came straight out of the box, got plugged straight in with an HDMI cable to the TV, and that was it. I brought a USB drive well, and plugged it in. And, and, and to be I, honest with you, there's some disadvantages to that. Like I noticed in your video, you're already running an out-of-date version of Cody. Now, that's not a huge oh, yeah. deal, but like Cody is, uh, Cody is going through a particular time in their development cycle where they are giving extra special love to the Android port. I mean, it is getting sure. it's got to be one of the most sophisticated apps on Android I, it maybe maybe that I know of I can't think of another yeah. more sophisticated app and I was just reading the uh, release notes for the one of the like alphas or betas or release candidates for 170 mm-hmm. and again a huge portion of this next Cody release with a brand new default theme and a lot of nice improvements to the video player, stuff you're really going to want, Noah, legitimately. Like right. stuff for like ISO improvements and all that kind of stuff, hardware accelerated yep. playback to make ISO playback better. It's all going to be, and it's going to be in Cody 17 for Android. All of this, what you're describing, is exactly why I'm looking for a box right now. Because the Western Digital right now does everything I want it to do. But with the advent, like, so for example, one of the things I ran into is I I just got lucky on this, is that Blu-rays play on my Western Digital, right? And Blu-rays weren't even a thing when that box was released. And so how they have somehow managed to make it work, I don't know. That's because the Blu-ray is probably using H.264 and all that. So, okay, but here's my question. What happens with whatever comes after Blu-ray, whatever the downloadable yeah, yeah. format is? Yeah. I need, to, I want to at least be thinking about it, even if I don't right. switch all these devices well, and, out. And the and, other thing, too. Just, so Cody seems like a good way to get that, that thing. And the other thing, and just before I forget, yeah. I just the, – the other thing is, too, is you had mentioned a couple weeks ago, and it, it really struck a chord with me. You have Dylan when he's at home. He is used to the Plex interface, and so you want to replicate that interface – everywhere and that yeah. you can and if i can get every, if i can get everyone on my family and friends and everyone using cody and i have a box right. that uses cody mm-hmm. then cody becomes what i seek to to implement and it doesn't matter if i can get an open elect box that runs on yeah. linux or yeah. an android box that runs cody or yeah. nvidia it doesn't matter as right. long as cody can get there that's exactly the conclusion i came to and i'm so the plex thing for me uh that's where i kind of consider doing mv and cody because then i could do the same kind of thing right. for them yep um, so that's why I haven't fully made up my mind there yet because I haven't a lot of time to play with this. And I'm still learning Cody. Uh, like, it's funny because my last comments on this like a week or two ago, I got quite a bit of feedback in the subreddit. I don't know if you saw it. And I followed some of the advice, and it still actually hasn't worked for me. Like I have specifically, just to, just to be specific, The Adventures of Superman, which is a 1950s Superman show, which is just popcorn for me. I love watching it from time to time. And... Um, Plex is actually failing to identify it correctly as well. But I, I named the folder specifically Adventures of Superman and in, 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 in comma, commas I put like 1958 or whatever it is, specifically as I was instructed to do. And Cody, Cody fails to recognize it as a TV show. So it doesn't show up like amongst right. my, all my, in my TV view. But I can still go to the file browser mode and I can still pull up the files and I can still watch them. 
And are you do you mean MB? Because Cody just recognizes folders, right? Yeah, it just it doesn't even it has, yeah that folder just has not even been added to the TV. I do mean Cody. But what what I mean is you have you have a folder of TV shows and right. you specified inside of Cody yeah. as a TV show, so yes. everything you put in that folder should yeah. be a TV. And show. I can when I browse it in the file when I go through the file browser in Cody and I hold down on the remote and I bring up uh, info, it actually has pulled up the TV DB info about the series. It just simply mm-hmm. isn't showing up in my TV shows where I can go in there and see all the episodes with all the seasons. So if there's if you're taking anything out of this episode, a couple of things that you should you should take from is that if you if you don't know which other way to go, start with an Android device. If you don't know which software to use, start with Cody, because yeah. I think that both you and I, with yeah. zero equivocations, think that yeah. Cody on top of Android is pretty much the way to go. If you well, want, I want to talk, I want to touch on that just, just for a second. So let me finish my thought, and then I'm t- touching that. My point is, is whatever you go with Plex or Cody, this is I'm not faulting Cody here. There is there is a bit of a vernacular and how the file structure should work. How library layout should work. And you, you just. MB? No, dude. You mean Cody? You I'm mean Cody? About, okay. Yes, dude. Okay. All right. <laughs> I'm talking about Cody. I, I, all right. We'll talk. I'll, I'll explain more once I get through this. Uh, and so just give a note. Like, you. What I'm saying is pick a system and stick with it because what I have done is for a while I've used – I went from using Cody or XBMC at the time. I moved to Plex and now I'm trying to take. Plex, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to go back to Cody, and I, I spent years naming things for Plex. To Plex recognize it? And there are small differences between the two. Um, but I say, and I think Noah agrees, if you can pick one, stick with Cody and just learn it. And that's, yep. that's the process I'm going through now. Now, I wanted to touch, just because I keep mentioning it, on the Android thing. I actually think Android makes a lot of sense in this particular setup, maybe more so than Linux, in the regards that when you put a Linux box in there, you are maintaining and upgrading the packages on an entire Linux system, and that means everything. And it, I just really have a super low tolerance for failure in my living room because I don't watch a lot of TV, and I'm usually exhausted, and it's been a long day, and I sit down, and I want to push a button, and I want that file to start. Exactly. And, and um when I have a system that I have to keep up to date and manage it up, there is every now and then, every now and then there is a package that fails to update or the system falls way behind or something doesn't upgrade correctly and I have to go fix that one thing that doesn't upgrade correctly before the rest of the system upgrades. And I end up with a system that is something I have to manage, something that has a flaw somewhere in it. Mm-hmm. The fundamental thing about this this uh, Android uh, Shield TV running Marshmallow is – the apps and the OS are totally isolated and separate. And, and NVIDIA so far, I've gotten a couple of updates, security updates, and it, they upgraded from uh, 5.0 to 6. And so far, I have not had a single problem with any, like my Cody stuff or my Plex. Nothing has gotten messed up in this process. And they've added significantly new and nice features that are – like each update has been like – I. I cannot wait for that update. I am excited about that update. And it comes, and my base system gets updated. It does it safely, it does it efficiently, and it does it quickly. And my applications are left alone, and they are updated Mm -hmm. separately. Um, And I find it to be much more appliance-like friendly, much more like, you know, set it and forget it type, where I feel like that's less like in three years, if I just leave it there and let that process continue, and I stay on top of just that stuff, it's less likely 
to screw up than an entire Linux box, like an Arch system or an Ubuntu box over three years that I'm updating very frequently and staying on top of the problems, adding the new versions of Kodi when they come out, updating my codex when the new version of FFmpeg comes out, uh, trying out new versions of Plex and Plex Server when it comes out. That is way more likely in a three-year period to have some issue or at some point in time in that three-year period be something that feels like work or maintenance to me. Way more likely. And whereas this thing, it just sits there and gets all its updates, and it's just fine, and the two things are isolated and protected from each other. Let me bounce a couple of ideas off you. So I come at this from a perspective of in the seven years that I've owned these Western Digital boxes, you know how many times I've updated them? Zero. I've never once updated anything. I just take them out of the box and use them. And they've worked just fine uh, since day one, so I've never really felt the need to update them. But when you say that Android is more suited than than Linux, I'm not entirely sure I agree with you. If there was a box, if they made this G-Box that was pre-installed with OpenElect rather than actual Android, I would have bought that, and I'd be just as happy with it. I don't think there's any. I don't think there's any inherent advantage of Android over a distro specific for media. Where I do think your argument holds water is if you're talking about custom building from scratch, building an Arch system and then stacking Kodi on top of it, or building even Ubuntu and yeah, stacking yeah. Kodi on top of it. That's where I think, like that wife. That's, that's where I'm really coming from. Yeah. yeah. However, but I still like, disagree- if you look at like an actual distro for it, I think that it's fine. Yeah, it's probably your safest bet. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. I, I think I think that's probably exactly where I would draw the line. Um, and I think there's still more of a chance that the, the OpenElect Linux distribution is going to at some point be maybe more of maintenance than I would want, though. Because this thing is mm-hmm. literally zero maintenance, so it goes from it gives me it gives me the the best TV experience with really no performance. I'm taking no performance hits with the Shield TV, um, and I'm getting the latest security updates for Android. The only downside is that it's Android, and if I don't have a literal practical problem with it. I have a philosophical problem with it. Right. And, you know, I've... I've if, let me ask you this. Let me just, just for the, just for thought experiment. What if it was an Android device that was not connected to the internet in any way, shape, or form? Then what? Well, I spent the entire weekend like that. And it's just fine. I mean, it's... Yeah. But, the, but what the, I'm saying the, is, then the security updates become irrelevant, right? Yeah, except for I, I, that's never a situation I'll be in for prolonged. I might be a weekend or two without internet, but yeah, I'm, I'm good with that. Like that's that's long term. I'm fine with that. But you I don't have care these things connected, connected to your network. I do, but only because they have to be on the network to get to yeah, my exactly, file server. Not because I care if they're on the internet. That's the oh, okay, problem. fine. So, for as a sake of argument, if I if I if I really wanted to put to to continue the thought experiment, I would put them on a VLAN that doesn't. So then, have why don't you run? VLAN. Why don't you run? Uh, why do you install updates on your laptop? Well, because my laptop is on the internet. So are those devices, right? But it's a function of laziness, not because I, not because there, there's right. actually. See, I'm having my cake and I can eat it too. I don't have to do anything really. To I just say okay, install the update. When a big system update comes along, the apps just update in the background. Um, it is up to date. It's secure. It's getting monthly security updates, and I don't have to worry about anything breaking. And so I get the best of both worlds. See, I I don't. I don't like putting – just watch two episodes of TechSnap or watch three episodes of TechSnap and then tell me you can, you can be that guy that wants to put something on his network that he never, ever updates. The, the simple fact and the unfortunate fact is uh, it just takes the, the smallest, stupidest device on your network to get your network hacked. Um, it's really all it takes because once you're on the LAN, uh, have at it. And you don't want the thing that gets you on the LAN to be that crappy Android device you installed a year ago that, that shipped with stage fright. 
or whatever the hell. You know, you just, it's just a, yeah. that's just a bad situation. Well, I mean, uh, to be fair, I don't have any Android devices. That, well, non-updating Android devices. The only thing I have on on the network are dumb devices like those Western Digitals that they don't they don't talk out to the internet. They if don't they still have a Linux internet. kernel and they have some user land tools and a network connection, they still can be hazardous, in my opinion. That's where yeah, I draw the line. I suppose. Yeah. Um, and I well. I mean, by the way, I don't have any links in the show notes. I should have grabbed it. But there is a guide out there for putting Arch Linux on the NVIDIA Shield TV. My only downside, and I think this is where yours definitely pulls ahead, is yours is uh, 99 bucks, right? Yeah, it's inexpensive. But then again, at, at the, at, you know, part of it there. was I was thinking it was a little less powerful because you had talked about the instantaneous start. I don't know if you demoed it in your video of video of starting something in Cody. So, but I think mm-hmm. your Nvidia start. I think your Shield starts videos a little faster mm-hmm. than mine does. I've never had. I don't even have PCs to start. I've like I said, I, I've literally had. Uh, I've had multi-core piece, four-core PCs that do not start videos that fast. Yeah, so I, so that might be one of the advantages. But uh. Uh, you know, so the, uh, the just just to sort of close this out, uh, I, mm-hmm. I totally don't think there's any uh, problem with building a Raspberry Pi-based one or a Linux-based one. I do. I think there's a problem with it. Well, I, you, have no, to, I mean, you have to source the remote controller. You have to put the case well, together. You've got. But that, but that can be case. fun if you want to do that. That can be fun. So, and a couple other things just for the shield, just in the sake of full coverage, um, that has the GeForce like grid streaming stuff, which I think is like some, some, some not some similar version of what basically Steam streaming is mm-hmm. the, uh, for Windows users. That if you have a, if you have a GeForce card, you can stream shit. That's basically what it does. So it lets you it lets you do remote game streaming to the Nvidia Shield if you have a Windows PC. Uh, maybe maybe Steam will enable it sometime. And the controller is kind of legit. And the gaming's legit on it too. So mm-hmm. that's actually they they initially uh, started they started selling this and pitching this thing as a as a console competitor, and right. then they then they kind of have pivoted a little more to the whole media center thing, which I think makes a lot more sense because it's it, now I have a media center that has some good games on it, and I've I installed uh, um, the I can't remember what it's called, but it's basically a Super Nintendo emulator. So that's been a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. So some really good games on there too. So, anyways, I'd be really curious to hear how yours goes because I'm I'm you know I'm a far ways into mine. I've been using it for a while, but yours I really like because again, if I can just get Cody and I I don't mind maybe once a once a couple maybe once a year I'd sideload a new version of Cody. That'd be fine with me. Yeah. It even doesn't yeah. have play. I'm good with that. So I'm really kind of curious it has to check play. that. In. I just didn't activate. It has Google yeah. Play service. I well, just I like that yours came pre-installed with Cody. It's, an, yeah, it's a slightly it older version. I had to go mm-hmm. get mine from the Play Store. I could have sideloaded, but and to be fair, I I was googling a little bit because it was ha- it was struggling to open some of those files. It would eventually do it, but it would take a while. And all of the reviews say that if you update to the latest version of Cody, that problem goes away. Yes. So yeah, yeah. I'll probably end up doing it. But again, every time I have to do something to the box other than take it out, it starts to erode away at. Yeah, but you can't really blame the box that Cody keeps pumping out great versions that you're compelled to use. That's not really the hardware's fault. Um, No, it's not. I just you just have to come to the decision how you want to manage that update because you're going to have to now. What you probably would have to do is uninstall the version that's on there that was sideloaded, activate the Play Store, and then reinstall Cody. And of course, you got to. You also have to have. I have more faith in the privacy protection of Nvidia than I do some. I don't know who made yours. That's uh, Matt, 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 Matt. I don't know. Trump? For some reason, I still just have issues with Android. I don't know what. I just I got to get over it. But either either way, 
Either way, I'll be curious to follow up with you in a little while, Noah, and see how it's worked out for you. I've got links and more information for both these boxes in the show notes as well. Specs are broken out there. Two different takes. We both kind of landed here with no planning. I, you know, I we <laughs> yeah, really yeah. didn't know. And it's kind of funny yeah. that we both ended up on Android devices. But now looking back on it and reflecting and having gone through the three-week period it took for me to come to Jesus about this, I actually think uh, there is some there is really some legitimacy to it. And if you're skeptical... I was the most – I would not even – I would refuse to buy a new – I would not even buy – I wouldn't touch a new one. I, I had to start used just to be slowly nudged into it, and now I'm on the other end of it, and I'm damn impressed. So check it out. Either way you go, I think the era has arrived where perhaps Android may make finally have transformed from a phone OS into a decent TV set-top box. It's unbelievable, but your Linux Action Show is here to witness it for you. And that brings us to the end of this week's broadcast. But before we get out of here, we got some feedback to uh, read, I guess. And then I, we, I was trying to think about what to call this gadget spotlight you want to do. Noah's super excited about a piece of hardware, so we're going to talk about it in the feedback section. <laughs> and you're super unexcited about my piece So far. But I, I trust that you will change my opinion by the end of it because I just don't know a lot about we'll it yet. We'll see. I, I, I believe in you. I believe in you. You know what else I believe in? The great folks over at System76. Go check them out. Noah and I have been System76 users for a while. Noah, right there, is sitting on a System76 machine. He's talking to me. I, I am. The I, wild, wild dog. Yeah. No, I meant I. Oh, well, yeah, on your end, too. I meant on my end, it's a System76. So end to end for this uh, show, we're doing System76 machines. Uh, I've also been recently talking to Michael Dominic, who uh, got the Rattel, you know, the really nice size, like one that I always yeah. want. But I never. After, after he pulled his Dell out of the box and it just didn't even turn on. Yeah, he's like, no. And he sent back the Dell and got a System76. They make great laptops and desktops. They assemble them right here in the US of A. They service them here in the US of A. And they even have servers. You can go the whole line. It's a great way to go because they have great customer support. We've met those folks. They're really great. Just go over there, try out a system, and just tell them the Linux Action Show sent you. Or uh, you got any other tips? Something else they should include in the message? I w- actually, what I would do, yeah, uh-huh. I would go, uh-huh. I would email Emma Jupiter Broadcast, or uh, sorry, Emma at system76.com, and I would just say, Noah switched me to Linux, and I'd like to buy a Linux computer now. Yeah. And that will get you something special. I can't tell you what it is, but it's something yeah. super special. Yeah. You it's- might also be able to put in the comments, Noah switched me to Linux. Oh, yeah. You might, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. You can do that in your order form. Yeah, yeah on, the, on the online order form, and then put that in there yeah. and just say something, you know, to that effect. Uh, yeah. Noah's great sales pitch, switch me to Linux. That kind of thing would be really good. And uh, then the, send that into System76. And then, you know, I bet you something extra special shows up. Check them out, System76.com. Those guys are awesome. Okay, Noah, look alive. I'm going to read Aaron W.'s email right here. Coming into the show, he says, hello. Hi there. Hello, Aaron. How are you? Well, you can't respond to me, Aaron, so I'm sorry. I'll just read it on. He says, I watch the show lots. Oh, that's good. Look at that, Noah. You picked you picked an email from somebody who reads and, and listens a lot. Well, good. I'm glad that worked out. He says, I love it. Well, look at that, Noah. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I know you have issues with suspend and Wi-Fi resuming in Ubuntu 16.04, and I found that 16.04.1 didn't fix the issue. Mm. So I went up digging that on the web. That was my experience, too. Yeah? Really? Dang. Yeah. Uh, and he says he has a workaround. Now, this is one I think I mentioned in Linux Unplugged, but uh, for the unwashed mashes here, I will – mashes, mashed potatoes. I will read it for you. It is a little bit like this because guess what? They're using systemd 
Uh, oh, look at him! He made a service. He made a service yeah. file, and it will include it right here in the uh, in that their uh, emails. We'll include the emails right. in the show notes. Is what I'm trying to say. So you guys can go read that there. Basically, it restarts Network Manager. But I was yep. super pumped last week when we talked about the point release, and I was like, "Great! Now this oh, is fixed." Good. And I go home and yeah. I update my ThinkPad and I bring it back up. And I don't have internet. And well, I'm here's like, the thing. Nah! We thought it was going to be rebased. Uh, so we, th- we were hoping in that, and I think it was last episode, we were saying, you know, look, uh, this is a good shot. They've rebased on the network manager upstream. Mm-hmm. And then there you have Listen, it. Listen, I completely understand, guys. You're only three months into your LTS. Who cared? Nobody really uses not Wi-Fi or the internet. Not anyway. a, it's not that big of a deal. It doesn't look bad when you switch people to Linux at all. And uh, not at all. So what, uh, what he did here is he just made this uh, systemd uh, unit script here, and uh, he then just does a little uh little uh restart and stop when his wi-fi needs to be started yeah Thanks, or you Aaron. can just append you can append that to in your suspend oh, there your yeah. oh, resume yeah. thing so sure that when it comes back up it just automatically restarts network manager which nice. is of course a pain because it takes an extra three seconds before you're connecting the internet but hey it's better than not having internet you know but you save that script somewhere where you can get it easily enough it's one fix i don't know it's really ridiculous i can't justify it chris writes in with battery life on linux he said i wanted to ask you guys about your experience with battery life using different distros or derivatives Maybe more on the derivatives. The reason why is because I'm finding that using Ubuntu Mate 16.04 is far better on battery life and terminal. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, thermal. I have my mouse in the way. Uh, than using Ubuntu GNOME 16.04 on the same hardware. And I mean by a lot. I tried it on three different brands of laptops with pretty consistent results. How about that? CPU temps on GNOME are higher, about 10 degrees or more. Um, I'm just curious if you guys have noticed similar results or if you guys see it, others maybe have experienced the same thing. I get the GNOME is more graphic intensive, but it can't be that much more, right? Thanks for the sponsor in advance. By the way, keep up the great work. I love the show. Chris. Yeah, um, I wonder if in Ubuntu Mate, if you turned on the comp is rendering, if you wouldn't start noticing the same thing. Maybe not as bad, actually. I've noticed comp is... Uh, it doesn't seem to hit it as bad, but definitely noticed it on GNOME. Way, 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 way noticed it on Plasma 5. In fact, it was one of the reasons I had to take Plasma 5 off the machine Noah's on right now is it just started running the GPU fan all the time it was showing up on mic, just, and it, just a base temperature. I think primarily what it is is uh, GTK2 and then Mate desktop, or not even – it's not a GTK thing. It's just the Mate desktop, unless you change it, is extremely gracious about how it uses your GPU. It's not GPU accelerated necessarily unless you go in and change it. And so that's going to dramatically affect temperature and battery. And the number one heat sucker, and I mean producer and power sucker in your machine next to your CPU is your GPU. Mm-hmm. And um, since you're still using your web browser and you're still doing all that stuff, that workload's still working on your CPU. Meanwhile, all the window managers, all the window stuff is happening on the GPU. It's going to produce more heat and, uh, and use more power. Way of the future. Have you noticed this in any, any practical way that really impacts you, Noah? No, I, I, I threw that question in there mainly for you because you you uh, you notice things like battery life. I'm such a Walmart Linux user that yeah, as long as I get my terminal, my web browser, and my email client, I'm happy. And I'm I don't really care if yeah. I have to plug in. My uh, yeah, those. okay. So my here's my take on it, uh, and this is just my take. And I it's because I like all the things, so I have effects on when I'm in Plasma, and I have them on when I'm in GNOME, and I even have them on when I'm in Mate. Uh, KDE Plasma 5 seems to be the most aggressive in how it uses uh, my GPU, and I think that's just because KWIN is significantly better than the rest at shunting those tasks over the GPU. GNOME kind of comes in the middle, and Mate, and, and GNOME and Unity, and Mate is sort of uh, the least uh, offensive to my temperature and GPU uh, 
sensibilities, I suppose you could say. Uh, are you ready for me to roll this next clip? Uh, I just go right I'm into ready. it. Should we just? Uh, I'm ready to be impressed, Noah. I'm standing by. This is the hardware that I've been waiting to hear about all episode long. Earlier this week, I tried to share my love for a new device that I think is life changing, and Chris called me dorky. So I'm going to make a video to show because I already have the equipment here for doing this week's episode, I'm going to make a video to show exactly how not dork it is and how truly <laughs> life-changing it can be. This is the access control system for my house. This is what controls uh, entry and exit to the house via RFID cards. And the way it's programmed is with the serial interface. So there's this little serial controller thing, that the cable here that runs here, that I have zip-tied to the controller and, uh, and comes out of the box. Now, Prior to this week, the way that I had to con- I had to configure it was I had to bring my laptop uh, here and connect it via a USB because they don't make laptops with serial ports anymore. A USB serial adapter and I had to stand here on this ladder because this is the ceiling, so we're towards the top here. And-, and I had to configure this thing while balancing myself on a ladder. It was it was uh, I risked my life basically to add a key or remove a key, and that got to be very frustrating. So what we have now is the serial IP converter. And I'm going to show you right here, right there, if you follow this line, which, by the way, is, again, not zip-tied per se, but cable-tied, down, it runs to this uh, serial controller. And the serial controller... Get this out of the way here. The serial controller... Uh, basically takes all of the serial connection uh, that runs to the the access control system and uh, encapsulates it in in an IP system, which then, of course, runs to the network rack where it goes out and I can access it via wirelessly over my network. So I can uh, basically program my keys now from anywhere I have Wi-Fi, which, (laughs) by the way, is anywhere on the house. So this is uh, Comtroll Device Master. They make it, it's available for Windows, Linux. I don't know if they have a Mac. I think it's just Windows and Linux. But they, um, they're just a little piece of software. You double click, you install it, and it gives you a COM port uh, after you've set up an IP address for it. I have used other serial servers. This is the best. I've used a number of other ones. None of them are quite as good as the Comtroll Device Master series. Took me about a minute and a half after I unboxed it to get it up and running. So very, very, very cool device if you need a console access or serial access to a device and you want to do that over a network. Hmm, that is nice. No, I'll give you no, that. I do no, like no, that. Here's the, here's, here's the thing, just on that note. I, I, I'm trying to convince my wife to stop calling our network operations center at the knock to stop calling that the laundry room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is... Uh, my network, so I can uh, basically... That, okay, so she, I'm she seeing... Because she thinks because she stores her washing machine in her right. dryer inside of our network that's operation. Ridiculous. That somehow that's the laundry room. <laughs> One, two, three, four, five, six. Program my keys now. Seven. From anywhere I Okay, have. I can see seven devices in the rack, and I'm assuming there's more that I can't there, see. There's, and, there's a lot more. Yeah. There's a 42-year <laughs> rack, there. rack, and there are 16U unused. You know, so what's, kind of an idea. you know what's funny about you and I is uh, we, are, we are diverging so much in our home setups because I'm going as tiny, as compact, <laughs> and consolidated. I, I want everything to fit <laughs> under a bench. That's what I want. Every, and you, you have a 42-year <laughs> You <laughs> I know that was never more clear to me. And, and I think it was April when I was there. And I was like, I just come from putting a lot of this stuff in. And I get there and I'm like, so how do we get internet here, Chris, at your house? So what, uh, what fancy setup do we have? And you're like, uh, 
grab the MiFi over there and uh, rip the cord out of it so it restarts. And plug it back in, and then the uh, yeah. the uh, default SSID is on there and uh, connect away. <laughs> yeah, it's gotten better now. But uh, you know, uh, just to follow up to Chris S's email about uh, the GPU uh, CPU stuff. So uh, there's another way to look at it is, um, and I, this is the way I look at it is uh, when I buy a computer with a good GPU in it, or if Intel finally gets you know their Skylake Iris process uh, GPUs uh, worth using. The, the the point I'm trying to make is if I have a nice GPU in my system, I want to take advantage of it. I want to use it. I want to take those tasks off my CPU, and I want to put them on my GPU to open my CPU up to do more stuff. So you could look at it as using more battery life and producing more heat. You could also look at it as sort of enabling your computer to do things it couldn't do before without nailing your CPU for it and freeing your CPU up to do things that you want to do, like load web pages faster, open applications faster, et cetera, et cetera. And so it's, it is a downside, but I, in my, my estimation, GNOME 3 seems to hit that sweet spot between GPU usage and trade-off there. And so I find it to be actually kind of valuable. I don't look at it necessarily as a bad thing. I look at it more as, wow, look, at they've actually managed to really take advantage of the hardware. That, that's actually nice that this, this mm-hmm. GPU chip isn't just sitting there being unused. It's an expensive piece of equipment. All right. So uh, I think that's just about everything we had to cover in this year's week's episode. I'm sure you guys have lots of feedback to give us and lots of ideas. Uh, if you guys have any recommendations for great, like, uh, getting started with Cody guides that aren't, like, super, super newbie, I don't need to waste <laughs> six pages on what Cody is or have the history of the project. I really just need to know really succinctly how to name my files properly, how deep my folder structures can and can't be, and the best tips to make sure everything lines up. I've read some of them already. and Best so, practices rather than getting started. I yeah, think yeah. And so if anybody, I just like to collect more. I've found some myself, but I'd always like more. You can uh, submit them in the feedback section. If you go to linuxactionshow.reddit.com, that's a great place to leave fe- feedback. We'll have a thread specifically for this episode. But also, it's a great spot to start specific threads for open source projects that need attention or to link a new story and your votes and your comments are also much appreciated linuxactionshow.reddit.com there's also the feedback page if you want to send us an email directly like uh, the two emails we got to read on the show today go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact and then just choose linux action show from the drop down uh, you can also follow that guy on twitter he's at kernel linux i'm at chris las and the entire network is at jupiter signal wow i think that's is that that's it right man a big that's show. it. We're at the end of an episode. Wow. Wow. Well, let's just keep on going. No, what do you say? You want it? No? Oh, that's right. You got a I birthday, got a birthday party. party to get that's to. Right. But you can keep going. All right. No, no. <laughs> this week, this week, we'll wrap it up right here. Thanks so much for tuning in this week's episode of the Linux Action Show. And we'll see you right back here next week. Yes. What happens if for the next four seconds, no new connections could be taken? Okay, hold on. Is that a denial the, the, service? The, the browser will try to load for more than four seconds. I'm asking you if that's a well, denial so, of service. No. So it's not a denial of service. It's a delay of service. See, I, like, think, I think what has just happened like going is... going through the drive-thru think, at McDonald's. I will have to let the audience review the tape, but I believe I've just convinced you to flip argument. I am now arguing your position, no. and you argue mine. Because no, I was no, the one no, just no, 10 no, seconds said, ago <laughs> claiming that if you just delay it, that's a delay of service and not a denial right. of service. Remember right. how I did the denial of service, and I stretched the whole thing out? That was what I was Here, arguing me, the other let me, side. Let me see if I can explain this to you in a simpler way. If you're going through a drive through to get not real barbecue... And you order your barbecue, and you have to wait in line to get your barbecue. Even though it's not barbecue, you haven't been denied barbecue. This is not making any sense, I declare. Perfect.
I, you know what's funny? Because I knew when I looked at your, so I, I filmed a bunch of stuff, and then I went back and I I was looking at your show notes, and yeah. I was like, oh, I have to recut some of this a little bit. And oh yeah, I was like, why? Because I know, because I know, just from the way, just from the links that you put in the notes, I know exactly where this conversation. Oh is really? Going. I, oh yeah. And so I know. Yeah, I, know exactly. I hate it when it spoils. I know. That's that's how I get you. See, now if you hadn't paid attention, I would have got you. That's what I get for. It, it was not necessarily spoiled. It's just I yeah. we've had this conversation enough times on and off the air that I know exactly where it's going. And I was like, now at least I know exactly what to say to perfectly articulate my point. Because the <laughs> yeah. one, and here's the thing. Here's why it's actually, if you think about it, it's more of a level playing ground. Yeah, because yeah. because it usually, show. well, no. And, and the other thing is the the thing that you have as a talent above me is you have the ability to listen to what I say and then just stop and then immediately come up with a terribly succinct, well-worded, well-spoken, well-presented argument. And I can't do that unless I think about it a little bit ahead of time. I, otherwise, my ADD just takes over and I'm like, and this and that. And this. like, I do like the tree thing where I start out on an idea yeah. and then I branch off and then I branch off and then I branch. And sometimes I get lost. And if you go back and listen to Unplugged, like with the one, last time I was hosting it, Rakai noticed this too. He's like, I can see you like jumping from idea from idea, and then you forgot what the trunk of the idea was. So yeah. you just stopped talking. Like, it's hey, a, actually, you know, it's only a skill I've really worked on for the last couple of years just because I was listening to podcasts and I noticed I noticed the difference as a listener when they yeah. when they do that, when they don't. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to start making an effort to do that because I because sometimes they say something like, I really want to hear more about that. And then they forget. And I'm like, oh, but I'm sitting there waiting in fact, uh, there's one show particularly bad about like this called um, uh, Roderick on the Line, where it's just one thing after, and it's like, uh, Hadia and I both were like, I can't, I can't, because I wanted to hear what they were going to say about that, and they never go back to it, like, I just can't, yeah. I stop listening. <laughs> yeah, so, I, so, well, so anyway, it, and it's one of those things that I recognize, you know, you've worked on it for 10 years, and now you're an overnight success, right? Oh, yeah. Boom! Boom! <laughs>